This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Top of the morning to you. In fact, uh, it's Wednesday. Holy cow, the week's flying. Flying by. Happy Wednesday to you. we got a great show for you. So much to talk about. So much to get into. Uh, you won't believe this, but Donald Trump keeps saying things that uh, people think are false. Really? Yeah. Just the weirdest I thing. I don't, you know, I really don't think they're false. I just think uh, Kellyanne Conway was onto something. Alternative facts. <laughs> that it might be very well true. Because now he's saying that uh, three million people, illegals, voted and uh, that's one of the reasons I guess he lost the uh, popular vote. Here's what I want to know. Let's say he demands this, you know, investigation, which it sounds like he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, what happens if it goes south and we learn that maybe he didn't even win the electoral vote? <gasps> what happens then, Matt? Nothing. Because that Nothing? won't happen. He's president. He done won. But he keeps making these crazy comments. Well, or are they crazy? Are they just facts that nobody else knows about? <laughs> that's the imper- that's the margarine. What's that called? That is a that is the margarine hat. I just made. I just I just turned into a king right there. This is. Um, I don't know. Don's got something going on. President Donald Trump has figured out how to rile up the press in a way that very few have, and is it impacting him? We've got uh, – we'll be talking about some of his crazy antics uh, in just a few minutes, but also we will be um, getting into some big announcements he's going to be making today about the wall. Apparently, he's going to start giving some details or at least now this is the initiating the, the wall borders. along the Mexican border, not yeah. the Canadian border. Not yet the, anyway. The Canadian border is a whole different wall. The Maple Wall. The Maple Wall was to keep the United – members of the United States in the United States. Instead of rushing to Canada. Um, Here today, we're also going to be talking about public transit. As Uber takes off, as Lyft takes off, as Chariot and some of these other uh, publicly or private companies are starting to take off, public and private, is it going to get rid of public transit? Will you not need to take a bus if you can just Uber cheaper? Hmm. And what will that do to public transit? We'll be talking with an expert that says, no matter what, we probably still would need some public transit because public transit does more than just transport people. It creates accessibility and it unifies a community. We'll get into all that fun. That's so, not what goes on through my mind when I'm on the bus. When you're on public transit? <laughs> public, yes. public transit unifies a community? Yeah, it does. Because it it forces you – when you take public transit, it forces you to recognize that you're still a member of a community. When's the last time you took public transit, Matt? Uh, Let's see. 19 – We have a rail system. We have a bus system. Yeah, okay. Usually I just think uh, I can't touch anything on this bus or I will die. (laughs) See, See, that right there tells you how connected you are to the germs of others. See, it's all – it does make you realize that um, you have to – we can't just have all the rich getting in limos and all the poor walking. And the poor that are walking can't afford supposedly an Uber. Right. They can't apparently afford a pass to a bus system. 
But what if Uber can do it cheaper than a bus system? Huh? Right. But then here's the problem. Uber may not serve areas that aren't affordable. Right. Where they can't make money. Yeah, they're a business. They have to make money. So So who would serve those people? That is uber frustrating. <laughs> hmm. We, we have an audience in here. Yeah, this yeah. is great. I'm glad we let someone <laughs> the live, in. The live studio audience. It's a fun. It's fun to have a live studio audience. We'll get to all that fun. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump expected to sign a number of executive orders on Wednesday, which would restrict immigration from Syria and six other Middle Eastern or African countries, according to a number of people briefed on the matter. Another uh, another one of the orders will reportedly block visas from being issued to. Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. Well, which wow, these yeah. these are these were his promises. Trump's purported restrictions may also include a temporary ban on admitting refugees from countries until the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security can increase the intense in the intensity of vetting. I'm not sure what that means. Got it. You got to vet more. Vet. It's like TSA. Time to TSA it up. TSA it up. We talked about the uh, voter fraud story that's continuing. Also, Donald Trump has placed a ban on, envir- on the Environmental Protection Agency employees from posting about their work on social media and from talking with reporters. This from the AP on Tuesday. The move comes a day after the EPA grants were reportedly frozen by the Trump administration. The White House is moving swiftly to restrict the powers of the agency, which has long been assailed by Republicans. Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt, Trump's nominee to lead the agency, was hostile to the EPA's regulations under the Obama administration. So Hmm. this might just be a transitionary situation. Yeah, maybe. This might be, you know, a death knell for the 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 whole EPA. agency. But maybe this is also Trump's way of getting his people confirmed. Climate change scientists at all the universities across the nation are busily backing up all data. Oh boy, so it true. doesn't get deleted off yeah. the internet, and then you can't access any of the work they've been trying to do. So. Oh boy! And finally, the Michigan Wolverines football program announced today or yesterday a week-long spring practice and educational experience in Rome. Wow. The trip to Italy to set for April after the winter semester ends will, and will uh, what three of their fifteen total spring practices will be in Rome, at a uh, soccer training center there. There uh, they also have a public scrimmage. In addition to practices, the team will embark on a cultural learning tour of Rome that includes visiting historical sites, spending time with the United States military personnel who are stationed in the area. According to ESPN, the NCAA passed a rule banning off-campus football practices during vacation periods outside of football season. Hmm. But that rule doesn't go into effect till August. Okay. Now, Michigan got into trouble or caused controversy, I guess, last summer because they took their practices to Florida. And they were doing all, camp. What were they, they doing? They, they, were, they, were to, they were to, it's called IMG. It's a, like a, oh, yeah, a the fitness, coaches, athletic, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they were doing camps down there and they were drawing crowds. And that was recruiting, helping and, recruit. Too. And coaches at colleges in the South were ticked off because now Michigan is. Hey. actively recruiting, yeah. and they're doing, they call them satellite camps. And so it caused friction within other football coaches. Uh, so rules were passed, but now they're going to Rome, and it just seems like a very expensive trip. But you could the, recruit a lot of people from Rome. Well, I don't, they don't really play football there. So. Well, they got some good kickers. <laughs> I have like 17 kickers on Michigan's team. Just what do you think the cost is taking <clears throat> coaches, a staff, lot. equipment, everything, and team to Rome? Yeah, but when you're, but they have the money, right? 
I guess. Because they make billions but, of dollars. And then you think about it. The coaches aren't going to go to Rome and leave their wives home. you got to take the family. Yeah, so this is going to be huge. And what do they say? When in Rome? Leave the wife at home. No, no, no. Oh. That's not in. That's not Rome. Oh. Uh, when in well, Rome, do as the Romans. At least that one rhymed. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time it's like a struggle yeah. here to get something that rhymes. It's always fun when I ask Jeff, <laughs> what what do they say here? It's like, rhyme this, dude. He's got one um, minute to make it up. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Donald Trump seems to be doing everything he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And and it's it would be like an I think a beautiful in fact uh, David Axelrod said it's like it's like a quarterback and a team just perfectly running this executed you know two minute drill or whatever they have a plan they have a plan every and, day there's new things but They're, then all of a sudden the quarterback just starts running he audibles and then runs with the ball the, the wrong direction yeah and then they lose about forty yards and then they it seems like they can get back into their play again. This time he did it uh, saying that there needs to be a major investigation for voter fraud. And it seems to start on Twitter. It's always on Twitter. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, are there – maybe there's two Trumps. Maybe there's a midnight Trump and there's a midday Trump. Midnight Trump tweeting craziness. Midday mm. Trump sedated. He, well, he, he did tweet something about uh, sending the feds yeah. to Chicago. And that happened to coincide with a O'Reilly Factor report on Chicago. Hmm. So now he's reacting to TV. Isn't it weird to think that your president is done, you know, at 6 o'clock, goes up to his residence, gets, sits down in a lazy boy in a robe and his underwear and just watches <laughs> Fox News yeah. and tweets angrily. Uh, Sean Spicer, the spokesperson for Donald Trump, he defended – this claim that millions of people voted illegally. What evidence do you have of widespread voter fraud in this election, if that's the case? The president does believe that. He has stated that before. I think he stated his concerns of voter fraud and, and people voting illegally during the campaign. And he continues to maintain that belief based on studies and evidence that people have presented to him. Okay, so that is, uh, again, as a communication expert, that seems to me like Sean Spicer saying, woo yeah, uh-huh. He's got his thoughts, his ideas that are his. Right. Are there any facts to back it up? The president does believe it. He thinks it. Uh, there, he has thoughts that are that are his, and he believes it thoroughly. He thinks, therefore, they're true. Now, yeah, they asked him if he believed it. The intelligence leaders of our country went and sat down with him and showed him evidence that they have collected of Russian interference in the election. Right. Which he said, basically, it Did, took him a while to get to the point yeah. where he said, yeah, sure, fine. They said that to me. Right. Now, we don't have any – they haven't presented anything. Right. There's no proof. All these organizations that track this stuff have no evidence. There's one uh, – um, it's the um, – like the, it's different in every state. Sometimes they have a secretary of state mm-hmm. in the state. Sometimes it's the lieutenant governor. But the, the people who monitor elections. Yeah. They all belong to this organization. That organization, no reports across the entire and by the way, country. Thirty-three, what? Thirty-three of the fifty states are GOP held. Yes, and those GOP held state uh, houses are saying nothing. Right. I mean, now there's got to be little fraud here, little fraud there, but 
you know, one cheater here, one cheater there, but three million. And if you go look, illegal the, immigrants. The, well, that's what he's saying. The, the 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 places where a lot of that mass of the vote that Hillary got her her popular vote lead on, yeah, ends up being in like California. Ah, see, right yeah. where she's you super know. popular. So there are certain counties where they just went all Hillary. So maybe he doesn't believe that there's that many people that didn't vote for him in mm-hmm. Orange County or whatever it was. And um, so, so here's what I that. believe. Do you, is he doing this? Donald Trump won the presidency yes. of the United States over Bush, over a Rubio, uh-huh. over a bunch of We don't have GOP, time to name them all. Yeah. But over a bunch that were like said to be the the, you know, the champ. Yeah. He also took out one of the most senior dynasty families in politics. Ba-boom. With the, you know. He did. Do we actually think he's just a nut job? Well. There's no way. So I think he's I, doing something. I, I think he's bait and switching or he's creating a smoke screen that gets everyone in a frenzy. Right. While meanwhile, he's moving Here comes something the wall, underneath. Right? Yeah. Here comes the wall. Well, we talked yesterday after the show. I read that thing to you about how he's a he sees himself as a winner. Oh yeah, and anything that doesn't meet that narrative, right, eats at him, and is a problem. And so, if he didn't win the popular vote, then he's not like he wants the popular vote and the electoral college, right? Or else he's not a complete winner, right? So there's got to be something wrong here. And if not, he'll send the feds. Send the send the feds. The feds. The in. feds. He's in, gonna yeah. send them in. So. But I think I think it really I think he's learned this little art of decoy. So either he is obsessed with being the no, winner, and or I, and I think he is obsessed with being a winner. And I think he's using little smoke screens to keep the press busy. Because if you notice what he does, he owns the press. Oh, he does. Everything they're talking about is anything he puts out on Twitter. He so yeah. He now the, knows the stuff from the White House. They talk about a little while, but then he puts something on Twitter, and all that stuff gets washed away. What would happen if the press didn't just take the bait? And there's he, been a lot of discussion about this. Like, do you put your reporters in the White House, or do you have them covering leaks from the White House? Hmm. Do you have the people that are trying to to work on policy and trying to get work done instead yeah. of worrying about the crazy? Do you talk with them? Instead of listening to the president, who apparently is trying to play games of some kind or truly believes that we need to go investigate voter fraud. Well, so now it's voter fraud for the next two or three days. Reporters will be doing nothing but investigating voter fraud. It was two crowd days. size. Uh-huh. It was so, voter fraud. So he's yeah. actually able to take the entire press, put them on an issue. It's it's like when you have the crazy, you know, teenage kid that you want that's working for you and you always just put him on the thing that he can't harm anybody. Yeah. Just go over and – Move the boxes. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, move the boxes back. Is that what he's doing to the press? And meanwhile, getting a bunch of other stuff lined up that – Is he that calculating though? Well, he won that- the presidency of the United States and everyone thinks he's an idiot. Half yeah. the people do. Right. So how can you – Says who? So how can you be such guy. an idiot that falls into all of these stupid traps that then keeps quoting fake facts yeah. and yet – is the president, and yet today will also sign off on three or four things that will just gut what President Obama did for eight years, who was so brilliant. Right. This I thought I 
I think there's more going on. He's not stumbling into this no. type of distraction. He's I think doing some it. of it really is like you're saying. Is there a plan? Do you think there's a no. plan and that's calculated? He's or a is hip a, shooter. I he think comes he just, up on the on the spot. I, okay. I think it's every night or every morning. He thinks, okay, well, how will we distract him on day six? You should we test? Oh. Let's test what day. So it's almost like every two days there's another what? Yeah. So he's got his own little cycle. So let's see what happens, happens. in the next few days. Does he bring up another thing that gets the press stirring? Because if you think about it, well, he, he put doesn't it out, need, to, need to do this very long. He puts it out day one. Yeah. Then usually, then you have a, then you have the afternoon media press conference yeah. guy who does who apparently his suits look better because he's, no he's looking that a way. lot better. And then it rolls back the next morning as people are reacting, and he drops another one. Yeah, I think. Again, I It's kind of exhausting. But they everybody keeps underestimating him and they just keep thinking he has no clue what he's doing. Right. He won the presidency over a lot of people that think they know what they're doing. And he he did the exact same thing through his entire election. You know, he'd create stir, he'd dominate the media cycle, and then he would do whatever he wanted and get Ly- it done. What lying Ted. Low energy <laughs> low, low energy Jeb. Oh, jeez. And it confounded yeah. their campaigns. They had no idea how to react to that. And we used to say this all the time on the show. Don't, you're, don't underestimate this man. He's not no. just a, a bumbling idiot. He's not. And I'm not sure that facts matter because if he's trying to stir the media, it may not matter. Alternative facts. <laughs> Thank you, Kellyanne. That's, uh, that's a crazy, crazy time we're living in, my friends. We will. Um, we got to get to public transit. Is it dead? Does Uber and Lyft? Could they do it better? Could, for example, Uber and Lyft do for public transit what UPS and FedEx did to the postal service? Can it be done better privately? Stick with us. We'll be right back. Ride-sharing programs such as Uber and Lyft are seemingly undermining public bus and transportation services in timeless, uh, in timeliness, flexibleness, and reasonable prices. Should our government give more public services to the private sector? Should they turn it over to the private sector in a way? Here to speak to us today about the subject is Dr. Matthew Mitchell. He's a senior research fellow and director of the Project for the Study of American Capitalism at Mercatus Center at George Mason University. He's also a professor of economics there. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, thank you for being with us and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So this is uh, this is a really interesting idea for me because I I there's been there's incredible benefits to capitalism, right? Let's let let's let uh, let's let businesses do what governments uh, let's let the government do what only they can do, and let's let businesses maybe step in. Except in your article, you brought up some really interesting facts and points. Um, about what public transportation does for us. Um, first of all, is is Uber are are Uber and Lyft are they are they are they cutting in on on public transit? Are they are they actually really making a dent? Um, yeah, you know the evidence is uh, that they are. Of course, they're cutting into traditional um, private transit as well. And and I should put private transit in quotes because a lot of the private options like taxis are highly regulated by government in a way that hmm, essentially true. has given taxis monopolies for, for decades. But, um, yeah, the, the latest estimates on the private side is that Uber 
uh, outnumbers um, taxis three to one in New York, for example. Um, in um, where I'm located in D.C., the um, metro, the public metro ridership is way down since the uh, advent of Uber, um, and it also hasn't helped that they're undergoing a lot of track maintenance due to some safety problems, and so they've shut down lines for long periods of time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, the evidence is that it's definitely cutting into both traditional uh, private um, transit and public transit. Now, in a way, uh, you know, I guess that's just that's business, right? That's how this goes. And we see, uh, you know, um, UPS, FedEx, they've cut into the postal service and they, in a way, do it in many areas better, faster. Um, so what would be the downside? Is there a downside to just turning it over to these privatized companies? UPS does a, a great job. And as UPS and FedEx have been taking off, the Postal Service has been struggling. They've been needing more and more. Um, they've been needing more, more and more subsidies. They've been needing to raise prices of stamps. Remember, and that creates a, a lot of frustration and anger. How can it be that the UPS can't, uh, the Postal Service can't um, make a money when it's a monopoly? And one of the downsides, I guess, is if you turn over public transit to these privatized companies, what what's the outcome going to be? Will everybody be served and will they all be served the exact same way with the exact same um, prices and the exact same fees and the exact same access? And so in, in, a, in a crazy, I guess, world, we believe that everything that's capitalized, that where, where we, we just turn it over to the market economy, we think it's going to work. But there are certain things and there are certain uh, areas, for example, that I'm sure a UPS would rather not serve because they lose so much money serving that area. But to be a company that is full service, you have to be willing to go full service. Are there certain communities that they're not going to make enough money to to have – you know, an Uber Lyft system there or a bus system or a, instead they need a bus system. So that's one of the great things that uh, Dr. Mitchell brought up in um, his article, Why Public Transit is Important. Hey, talk to us, uh, Dr. Mitchell. Then I was talking about the fact that um, these, these companies, they can make money and they're driven by making money. But in a way, it, because they're so money focused, they, they might not necessarily – go want to have people in on every route, but instead of just keeping the people on the highly profitable route? So, you know, the, the basic argument is, well, you know, we need to give you a monopoly, and only if you have a monopoly can we, can we force you to provide services to low-income areas. Um, the problem is when you look at the data and examples of deregulation, it really just doesn't um, – the, this, this theory – does not translate into reality. So, for example, uh, airline deregulation. People made this argument for years that we, we have to regulate airlines, give them a monopoly so that they can offer lower um, price services. But it turns out that after they deregulated airlines in the late 1970s, prices went way down. They're now adjusted for inflation about 45% lower than they were when they were deregulated. Wow. And um, you know, more than half of this can be attributed to deregulation. Uh, Uber is another example. You know, the argument has always been, well, we have to have a give taxis a monopoly, limit the supply of taxis so that they can serve 
underserved communities. Well, it turns out that Uber and Lyft are able to charge um, significantly less than taxis. The typical taxi, even now, after the entrance of Uber and Lyft, charges about 80% more, up to 80% more hmm. in some areas. And it's you know, in many cases, it's just a few dollars more, but it can be up to 80% more in, in underserved areas. So it makes a really big difference. Uh, you know, this this argument is so-so in theory, but it, uh, I just don't think it really uh, applies to reality. So you don't have to give a monopoly. You can you can let everybody into the game and let them compete. And Uber and monopoly and Uber and um, Lyft organizations like that they'll do it cheaper. Then um, then is there is there a chance that if if we just turned it over that you really wouldn't need public transit anymore? I think there's a possibility. I think the one area where I would say there might be a role is. Um, you know, there are some communities that are more expensive to serve. Uh, the best example I can think of is disabled communities. Right. Um, you know, you may uh, equipping a vehicle to handle a disabled person is expensive. So the public can, sector can play a role there if we feel, you know, as a society that we need to make sure that there are options available for these these people. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the government has to provide the service. You know, typically monopolies provide provide services at very low quality and higher prices than they otherwise would be. So the best way to do it, I would say, is to offer vouchers for um, uh, or offer subsidies, essentially, to but but have it be directed to the consumer. So the consumer can take their, um, you know, a, a disabled person could have a card that essentially gives them a subsidy. Uh, if they are eligible for it, and they can use that on a wheelchair-equipped vehicle um, that can be privately provided. So essentially the subsidy is on the demand side, not on the supply side where the government takes an active role in providing the service. You know, that's a, it's an interesting idea. When I was uh, younger, I worked on an ambulance service here in Salt Lake City, and many times um, certain certain populations – would actually call the ambulance to come take them to their doctor appointment. Uh, and yeah. so you'd show up with, you know, a team in an ambulance that's charging hourly for and transport fees. And it was, wow. you know, $800 or $700 to get somebody to go do a med check. Um, and that very same company also realized this was going on. So they created more of like a van service. And the van service, I can just see perfectly how that would work under a – you know, just you you get a you get a certificate, you get something that you can exchange, and instead of it being a five hundred dollar cost, it's a eighty dollar cost. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and the benefit of that is that it's open ended. Yeah. So a lot of government services end up being really inflexible. So I mean, look at the taxi. Really, from nineteen uh, thirties when taxis first started appearing to. Um, you know, now in the uh, 21st century, the technology has not changed one bit. Right. But in just five or six years, ride-sharing firms have totally revolutionized the technology of transportation. Um, and, of course, um, uh, streetcars or um, major subway systems and other kinds of uh, public transit are even less flexible. Right. Um, so really, the, you know, the real economists talk a lot about competition as being important for driving down prices, and I don't want to um, dismiss that argument. But real competition is dynamic competition, where it's not just about prices, but it's about changing the product. It's about offering a different array of services. It's about 
employing new technologies and challenging old business models. Mm. That's really what what the heart of you know dynamic competition is. Well, and one of the things you you brought up as well in your article was the fact that um, this innovation. I mean, Uber may not drive somebody all the way from the suburbs to the city. They they may just drive you from the suburbs to the train station. So those are shorter yeah, drives, right. shorter runs, and faster, more efficient to your door kind of thing. Um, and then the you know you can still have the public transit transit take you in on the train. That's right. And you know, and there's a lot of interesting things that technology is now able to do where you can uh, they can see. All right, this is the areas in which people are demanding services. This is the area mm. in which, you know, the routes are going. So now they're, they're offering, um, ride-sharing firms are offering things like Uber Pool, where you can, um, they, they have you share a car with five, four or five other passengers, or, right. or maybe even just one other passenger, and you can really cut the, the per-passenger price, um, and you, you're being more efficient, you know, it's a lower uh, carbon footprint, you know, it's it's beneficial on a number of different margins. And and that that also takes money, right? I mean, you got to buy vans, you got so do we want our public trans I mean, in Utah, you can get pool vans and check them out from the public utility and and do that on your own even. But then again, you, it's the government that has to buy the machines and the equipment and all the technology to make it happen versus allowing the market maybe to do it. Well, let's let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Matt Mitchell, and he's walking us through, uh, I think, a really important discussion about public transit going forward. If private companies can do it better, faster, um, do we are we okay with that? And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about what other benefits are there. Many people argue that... Um, you know, may, maybe a good argument or a bad argument that something about public transit keeps you connected to the community, makes you feel like you still should be investing in the community um, instead of just your Uber driver. Stick with us. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the end of public transit. Is it on its way out? And and is that a good thing? Um, Joining us is uh, Dr. Matt Mitchell. Matt is a senior research fellow and director of the Project for the Study of American Capitalism at the Mercatus uh, Center at George Mason University. He's also a professor of economics. In his writing and research, he specializes in public choice economics and the economics of government favoritism toward particular businesses, industries, and occupations. We've also been talking about monopolies. And, uh, you know, when it when it, we think that we need to give a monopoly to to get full service and uh, and yet, it doesn't necessarily pay out uh, the same way economically. Is that is that pretty accurate, Doctor Mitchell? Yeah, I'd say you know, of course, um, nobody ever, no monopolist ever says you need to give me a monopoly right. just because uh, you know I want the money. Um, so they almost they they always come up with rationales, and one of the more popular rationales is this idea that hey, look, if you give me a monopoly then I will do whatever you want. You know, I'll serve underserved communities or I'll charge lower prices. 
Um, and so this becomes a very popular argument. But every so often, you get um, private companies that are willing to challenge. Um, you know, a good example, you were talking about um, uh, UPS and FedEx. Yeah. Um, back in the 19th century, there's a famous abolitionist um, philosopher named Lysander Spooner that challenged the postal monopoly. And um, he managed to deliver mail faster. He managed to deliver mail cheaper than the U.S. Ignorance. He was run out of business. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. so he, he challenged the Postal Service, uh, and then in his in his challenge, he couldn't keep up with it. He was he didn't make he didn't make it work. Yeah, they essentially regulate amount regulated amount of business, and the same thing has happened in transportation as well. Um, back in the nineteen fourteen, um, uh, a man picked up um, a rider. Uh, and charged him a nickel and offered to drive him across across town in, in L.A. Um, and this started a national trend called um, jitneys. The, the name for a, for a nickel at the time was a jitney. And so basically it was sort of a uh, 1914 version of Uber where people were driving, uh, you know, strangers across across town for, you know, very cheap. Uh, and for their service, for, for this, uh, you know, service, uh, they were rewarded by being driven out of town by um, the the public transportation systems and also the private transportation systems that lobbied government in order wow. to say, hey, you, you got to run these people out of town. Well, yeah, you got to protect your you got to protect your monopoly. I mean, even right. even the whole uh, and whether it's all accurate or not, but the experience, the the Uber driver experience versus just getting in a cab experience is different for many Um is there and even the public transit and public transit we laugh at because of other reasons and the people you meet on the bus or the public transit system is is there is there a, um can can public work with and and even compete with private and win mm. so i mean Certainly, public can compete with private, and it has an, a major advantage, which is that it typically is, is highly subsidized. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, interestingly enough, actually, quite often when they do compete head-to-head, um, private still wins. Uh, you know, a great example of this is uh, back in the, in the 19th century, um, there was a monopoly given to um, people who were ferrying folks across uh, the waters in New York City, and it was given to Robert Fulton, actually, who was mm. one of the first inventors of the steam steamboat. Um, and uh, eventually, it, the, that monopoly was challenged by a young man named Cornelius Vanderbilt. He was nobody at the time; huh. he wasn't the richest man in the world yet. Um, and uh, he challenged it. Went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court actually said this was unconstitutional. You got to let Vanderbilt uh, compete. And sure enough, within uh, weeks of open competition, Vanderbilt was able to undercut the prices of this monopolist by, um, they had been charging $7 and he was able to charge 3 So it was much, much lower. Hmm. So often when you open it up to competition, uh, private firms are able to outcompete public firms, even sometimes when those private, when those public firms are subsidized. Um, and Vanderbilt ran up against a number of, pub- of subsidized um, firms, and he still managed to beat them and charge lower prices. Would um, is there any other? I know some arguments have been made that uh, there is something that happens when you hand your money over to a company, Uber, 
you may not feel as big of a connection or a responsibility and obligation to community. Yeah, I've seen this argument before, um, and uh, I think it's a rather romantic view, I suppose, <laughs> of, of government. You know, it's the idea that, you know, somehow we have this deep connection as a bond when we vote uh, together, when we vote on things. But, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that overestimates the degree to which you are connected to your government. I mean, when you pass a vote, um, there's a number of limitations there, of course. One thing is you're, you're having to vote on a whole bundle of things. You know, you're choosing at the same time that you're choosing a public transportation system, you're also choosing how much we're going to spend on, um, you know, welfare benefits, on, on um, sewers, on um, public pools, on all those things. You know, imagine if you were, had to buy a car, you also had to buy it alongside, you know, purchases of your home and your food and your clothing. You know, you had to buy it all as a bundle. You're really not going to be able to exercise much control over it. Hmm. Um, you know, and public decisions are also, often, you know, not very competitive. They're not very competitive markets. You typically have two choices, two candidates. Right. Um, and I think this romantic view of government way um, – overestimates the individual's power and underestimates the power of concentrated special interests. You know, the truth is that businesses that stand to gain from monopoly, government-granted monopolies or government subsidies, they tend, they have a really strong um, incentive to organize and put pressure on government. And we, who would pay the price for that, consumers and taxpayers, we're very diffuse and numerous, and we're just not as well organized, and so we typically don't exercise as much control over government. So I just think that's a, that's a um, sort of a simplistic, uh, yeah. romantic view of government. I, I, and, well, and I agree, because at the same time, it could seem like it's so appealing, also on mass transit, you know, when there's a mugging or whatever going on next to you, yeah, you're not right. feeling too connected to your community either. <laughs> Or maybe you're feeling connected in a way you'd rather not be. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Or so I mean, I guess, and I, the argument always goes back to the we, we need to take care of the little guy. And but with vouchers and other ways, it seems like government could take care of the little guy. And in a way, I, I, if I had to put my grandma, you know, uh, on a tr- on a bus to get her to her appointment, or if we could send her an Uber with a voucher that she could afford. Um, I think I kind of feel in many ways the Uber driver would take care of Nana better. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's a good example of how, you know, for years they made arguments that, um, well, it, we have to screen, we have to have the public uh, oversight of taxis because of this problem where c- consumers are unable to evaluate the, the quality. Well, eventually, you know, that's a so-so argument. Yeah. Um, but eventually, I think the private sector came up with a better solution to pre-screening which is this technology where you can see uh, how the driver has been rated right. you know, by subjective consumers, the 500 previous consumers. If you don't like what you see, you can cancel it. Um, Uber of, and, and Lyft, of course, monitor these ratings as well and stop working with drivers who get low ratings. Uh, they reward drivers who get high ratings by connecting them with passengers quicker. Um, you have this ability to track the service through geolocational technology Mm. as it's going. You can see your map. You can see your route. Make sure it's going the right way. If I do order it for my, you know, I've ordered an Uber for my um, 14-year-old nephew, and I can watch uh, 
the route that he's going and make sure that everything is going fine as he's going along that route. And you could um, FaceTime him if you needed to. Yeah, I mean, the cool right. – it's, right. it's a different age, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's an important point is that technology often will change the borderline between public and private. So I think one of the better, um, you know, more celebrated definitions of what should be public – is this idea that that if you essentially cannot make a profit by by providing it by the private sector, then it, but you still think it's a valuable service, then it should be public. Mm. So things like court systems and police forces and right. national defense fit this fit this bill pretty well. And you know there was a time maybe when um, roads even were were a quintessential example. It's very difficult to charge people for roads in the 19th century because if you do, you set up a toll mm-hmm. and it. And, it caught, and there's transactions costs, and, and it, and it uh, you know, get, and ends up uh, clogging the roads. But you know, the technology of remote um, um, uh, sensors that are able to charge people tolls instantaneously and at 60 miles an hour—that's changed really the line between public and private. And now you see a lot of private provision of roads popping up. Um, for example, the, if you land in. Dulles Airport outside of Washington, D.C. and drive into the city, you're driving on a private road there. Yeah. Well, you think it, how much of government then could be privatized? 30, 40 percent, 30 percent could be privatized and creating other jobs and other opportunities and uh, probably more money in the country. Yeah. Yeah. There's economic gains uh, and, and also there's more – there's technological gains as, as you right. get more Innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, I appreciate it. This has uh, been very eye-opening. And keep keep working. we got to have you back sometime because I just want you to help us figure out the Postal Service and, and what we do there. Dr. Matt Mitchell's his name, and he, uh, again, is a senior research fellow and director of the Project for the Study of American Capitalism at George Mason University. We will take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, continue the discussion right here at the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer Love stronger and lead healthier lives. Welcome back. And today uh, we've been talking about how maybe just a little privatization. You can still take care of those that are in need and those that need special care. Um, In fact, and maybe is, is Trump already working on this? Apparently his cabinet organizations pretty it's, interesting it's it's like they're giving training wheels to some of these departments that they're putting cabinet heads over really yeah it says the white house is installing senior aides atop major federal agencies to shadow the administration's cabinet secretaries creating a direct line with loyalists who can monitor and shape white house white house goals across federal bureaucracy oh wow so they get they get bureaucrats then the bureaucrats shadow the cabinet leader for that for the department and then – so there's – assuming there will be better communication to the constituencies in the, in the organization. Maybe. So the age chosen by the White House, uh, White House, given the title of senior advisor in each agency, have already been responsible for hiring at some departments and crafting the blueprint of Trump policy before the cabinet member is even installed to take office. Interesting. They have worked with congressional aides, lobbyists, and others seeking influence in the new administration. The arrangement described by four people involved in the transition planning appears designed to help the White House maintain control over its priorities despite pledging to give cabinet secretaries unusual autonomy. Well, oh, oh, oh. 
So you could have a secretary that has a whole agenda, but the actual agenda is by the senior aide. By the senior aide who is a loyalist to Trump directly. Right. So you have you have like a Ben Carson who has no experience with HUD. He's got someone to help him. A senior aide. Push through Trump. And a very pro-Trump aide. that way. Okay. Plus, plus they also you, know how to work with their own bureaucracy. But then you have other people who are maybe have different views than Trump mm-hmm. that we've heard in some of these yeah. confirmation hearings. These aides would go, yeah, yeah, sure, and then yeah. push Trump's agenda anyways. Interesting. So would there be infighting? Would there be yeah. a problem where the person is in charge, but are they really in charge? Who's actually in charge? Well, the article's called The Shadow Cabinet. The Shadow Cabinet. But it also seems like as a business person, I somebody has to speak bureaucrat jargon. Is there a problem this person isn't selected by the person who's in charge of the department, the well, cabinet secretary? Except I'm going to bet Tillerson would then be able to turn right back to the president and say – we got to get rid of this Yahoo. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Also, but one thing is when when Trump says we're moving on immigration, just know that people have already been working on immigration. They're already figuring out the plan, so things are probably going to move faster than we think. Ah, leadership one hundred and one. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. It's opposite day. Today's the day you can do the opposite and get away with it. So whatever Donald Trump is announcing today, maybe it's not real. It's opposite day. Or maybe it's real. Today is also the day uh, we'll be talking about how to manage anger. I had a really fun experience last night at a junior jazz basketball game. Did you get mad? I didn't, but the man next to me did, a friend of mine. Oh, wow. And he starts taking on the referees, just yelling at them. And finally the ref came over and... Had a little conversation. And so then I'm in this weird manly moment. Do I – and I agreed with my friend that was like – because they were calling a goaltending yeah. on a boy that can't touch the rim. That <laughs> <laughs> there's a goaltending. Yeah. And so I'm like, what? Yeah, you have to be above the rim. You'd think so. For goaltending. But yeah. he was calling so, a below the rim goaltending. Did you have a kid there, or uh-huh. did you? Were you just bored on a Tuesday night? Uh, both, actually. Okay. I, uh, when I'm bored, I just go like to be in the community, hang out with all. Be of amongst the, the people. I was with my son. I have a six, seventeen-year-old boy playing basketball, and it got pretty intense. Hmm. And then the referee comes over, so I'm I'm in that moment. Do I support my man, hmm. or do I look to my family and pretend like I don't even notice? There's a there's a little angry interchange going on. Did you stop all the proceedings to say excuse me? I'm a doctor. I'm a highly trained professional. Can I mediate this? <laughs> hey, let's all relax. Let's all take a big deep breath. Uh, no, I just looked to my family and pretended like I didn't know there was a fight going on over here. Yeah, it's usually the best. Stay it's out of it. The, it's, the, it's the wussy way out, but I did it. I nailed it. Well, no, if you jump in, it escalates. Because well, now it's two-on-one instead of just the one-to-one conversation there. And even if I'm angry, I'm not the one that's going to go yell at the ref. Right. 
I mean, the ref's making $25 for this game. Let him go. Yeah. And the ref came over and he's like, so you want, you want to do this? You want to do my job? Why aren't you doing this? And the guy's like, because I want to make more than $25 an hour. And then we started a whole income debate. Wow. It was ugly. And then my wife went off and just started beating on the ref. Really? Wow. No, no, so, she's listening, and I like to throw that out there. Were there any scouts in the crowd? Like what? professional scouts? Or like Boy Scouts. College Tons scouts, of Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts. I mean, in, in, the old, in the grand scheme of things, how important was this game? It was irrelevant. But I think this is the NBA influence. Oh, yeah. Every, everyone's kid is going to make the pros. And if you can do a crossover that breaks people's ankles... Yeah, you're incredible, and then you can sit and laugh at him because you did a couple a years ago him. everyone was shooting half court shots just because they yeah. were doing it in the NBA. Yeah, and it ruins the game. Oh, they're still doing that. In, Are they really in little league as well? So, That's great. So we're going to learn about anger management, how to manage your anger, and uh, with somebody that is the uh, currently a chairperson of the Department of Psychology at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. He's an expert in anger management. Yeah. So, do, you think, do you think he gets angry? Or do you oh, think yeah. he manages it well? Well, I think he, he'll even say all of us get angry, and all anger isn't bad. Hmm. There are times to be angry, and there are even times to express your anger and act on it. It's just probably not at a junior jazz basketball game <laughs> with all these kids watching. I was holding my granddaughter, and she she was nervous yeah. because of the shouting. That was me screaming but she was nervous when the, the, they started fighting with the ref. So mm. right then I knew we got to do something different. You know. So we'll talk anger. We'll also be talking about how uh, we'll have a little tangent from Leanna Tan, one of our producers. Yep. And she's going to um, be talk, uh, talking to us about what you do when no one's looking. Yeah. She has several. I read her the, the script. Yeah. There's several examples. And I'm like, yeah, I do a couple of those. Yeah. Do you want to share? No. Okay. You'll hear. So we'll get to all that fun. Um, and, uh, of course, headlines. Uh, we do have an interview with Shik Shumway coming up. Yeah, I think he was able to get some sound on a story. from a man that was stuck in an interesting place. I mean, this story is crazy. In New York City, a mm-hmm. man apparently stuck in a wall. Huh. Like walled in. Yeah. Scary. A little awkward there. But Shik Shumway will be on the scene. Somewhere along the way, there's someone wasn't planning well. No. Don't so, you hate it when yeah, he, the new people? Yeah. <laughs> Stuck in a wall, George. So we'll have that interview coming up. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump expected to order the construction of a border wall with Mexico in an executive order later today, according to the New York Times. An executive order to direct federal funds to cover the wall's construction is slated to be signed during an appearance at the, as, by the president at the Department of Homeland Security on Wednesday. Uh, he has claimed that the wall, a central promise of his campaign, is vital to keeping illegal immigrants out of the country. The executive order for the wall's financing is set to be signed Wednesday in tandem with another order issuing a temporary ban on refugees from the Middle East, Middle Eastern countries. Trump hinted at the news conference on Twitter. I don't think it was really a hint, though. He goes, bid, bid day. So he's misspelled big. It's B-I-D. Bid what he day. put in the tweet. So yeah. bid day planned on... And then all caps, national security tomorrow. 
Among other things, we will build a wall. Maybe he's taking bids. <laughs> Maybe he's taking Maybe bids. Bid day. Play bid on words. Day. Private funding to build this thing. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham on Tuesday said Donald Trump is undermining his presidency when he continues to repeat the lie that millions of people voted illegally in the 2016 presidential election, costing him the popular vote. Graham said this is going to erode his ability to govern this country if he does not stop it. President Trump tweeted that he plans to call for a major investigation into voter fraud. Trump on Tuesday threatened to send the feds to Chicago if authorities don't fix the horrible carnage going on. He went on to lament the 228 shootings in 2017 with 42 killings already. Wow. Referring to a Chicago Tribune report out Monday that highlighted the city's gun violence. Yet he also appears to be taking his cues from a guest on the uh, Fox News show, O'Reilly Factor, who shortly before Trump's remarks said that he couldn't think of any other word than carnage to describe Chicago situation. So, you know, watch the news and you'll see what's coming up tomorrow from the president. Daring Mr. Trump to make good on his grand infrastructure promise, Senate Democrats on Tuesday will unveil, or they they did on Tuesday, unveiled a trillion dollar plan to rebuild the nation's roads, railways, airports, waterways, and sewer systems over the next 10 years. The plan dictates or dedicates $180 billion to rail and bus systems, $65 billion to ports, airports, and waterways, $110 billion for water and sewer systems, and $100 billion for energy infrastructures. And it goes on for uh, some other public and tribal land building projects also. But this is a way, here's our plan. You want to do this. Yeah. Is he going to actually step forward and uh, negotiate with them, or is it something he's just going to push through his own plan? Yeah. And what would that look like? I don't know. Well, did you notice the Dems, the Democrats yesterday tried to jump the gun by uh, putting out an infrastructure plan? Yep. And which is great. Yeah. Trump would be like, okay, let's let's tear that up and do that. We'll just do that. We'll see what happens. We're all on board. And finally, the Sundance Film Festival going on in Park City. Uh, Amazon and Netflix have, uh, over the last couple of years, have made a habit of going in there and seeing if they can find anything of of worth amongst all the, the movies that have been made. Um, they pick up several for they, they want to get them on their streaming services they're looking for some uh-huh. unique yeah. films and selections last year Amazon picked up Manchester by the Sea for 10 million dollars the movie won the Golden Globe for best actor and six what Oscar nominations including best picture so far at Sundance Amazon has picked up three movies really yeah doesn't matter what they are. Either. How about the other? How about Netflix? Uh, Netflix seems to be a lot less selective. They have 13 movies they've purchased. Oh, so they'll far. buy anything. <laughs> have you noticed? Netflix will buy anything. So the way it works, then, they have to be able to put it in the movie theaters for it to be eligible for an Academy Award. Uh, one of the movies that was nominated that was mostly on TV was that O.J. Simpson documentary. Yeah, but that made huge noise. It's eight hours long. But what's the they, 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 what they buy they, it for? They, 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 well, they didn't buy it. Yeah. FX put it into some oh. theaters mm-hmm. so that it would be qualify as a movie. Interesting. And now it probably will a, win the Oscar. Yeah. Even this is the year of OJ. And it's eight hours because it's eight episodes or this, seven, whichever way. But it's it's long. It's not like you go into a movie theater and watch this. This is the year of – it seems like independent filmmaking is becoming a really smart business venture now, right? <laughs> You know, you can make money and the big studios are struggling making money. Yeah. The really annoying thing about the OJ documentary, though, is they aired the first part of it on ABC Mm. and then all the other parts on ESPN. So if you don't have ESPN, you can watch it. Really? Yeah. I watched it. It was good. Thank you for rubbing it. (laughs) I did. You always did love OJ. And by the way, if that if that wins, who's going to thank OJ? 
Because that would never happen without OJ, right? I think Jimmy Fallon said that when he hosted the Golden Globes. (laughs) Because they were talking about there's the FX. Yeah. There's an FX drama. And that's sweeping the awards, too. For TV. Yeah. And then the the movie, the ESPN, the documentary series is what we're talking about for the Oscars, right? (laughs) And both of them, it's it's, what Jimmy Kimmel said, no one's thanking OJ. Well, Well, the Academy Awards, like, we'd like to thank OJ. (laughs) Now that 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 joke has been made, they're totally going to do that. Yeah. That is hilariously sad it's yeah really bad but but, but interesting will any i guess do the rights to the movie go to her, the family didn't oj lose most of his belongings i don't know in how a lawsuit that works. to the family yeah i'm not sure how all that works and then he went to jail for trying to steal some of mm-hmm. his old belongings yeah <laughs> crazy that's see again anger management is what we're talking about today so I don't know, uh, back to the Amazon Netflix purchasing at Sundance, I'm not sure if Amazon purchasing three shows that they're more selective well, and Netflix is just trying to throw maybe, out a wide net. Maybe, but, well, maybe Netflix has a bigger, you know, they have more a money. bigger machine. I don't know. I wonder if we're going to start seeing Netflix movies in movie theaters because you've yeah. already seen several Amazon movies in movie theaters, mm-hmm. but not Netflix yet well, that I, mean, I know so, of. Well, and if some of these movies are being made for, what, $5 million or less, right? Right. So if Amazon or if Netflix only has to throw a million dollars at a movie of five million, then all of a sudden they can own the rights. I wonder if they'll so they can get all these movies for a million. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they're going to change the rules, too, because there were a couple of Netflix movies that did have some Oscar buzz, but they ultimately weren't nominated. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they'll change some rules to be more inclusive or hmm. what they'll do. Are you the kind of person that would want to get to Sundance to see all of these movies, or are you okay waiting to just see them on Netflix? I'm okay waiting. I am, too. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to be the sifter. I don't want to have to sift through the garbage. Yeah. But maybe they're not all. Maybe they're something. Maybe they're all great. No, Sundance is the only place that I know of where a movie will be booed. Like really? I've been in oh, really? the worst movies in the world. I've seen in the movie theater. Never heard anybody boo. And people boo and then walk out and like I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. Wow. Cutting edge. You know, it reminds me of Shik Shumway. How so? Something Shik Shumway always told me about when people boo at you. Do you remember? He said it in our meeting the other week when we were like, Shick, you're not you're not getting the ratings, you're not you're not doing the job. I think he said boo me once, shame on you. Yeah. Boo me twice, shame on me. Right. And then something about haters gonna hate or something. Yeah. And then he started dancing. Yeah, it was weird. So I mean Shick is the guy that missed the 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 day, the launch of Rogue One by a month. He missed the inauguration by a day. And you remember his argument was getting better, getting closer. <laughs> he's the guy that we send to any scene and he never can get audio. Or if he does, he's like standing in the middle of the explosion. Explosion, you remember? It, it melted. Yeah. Last time it melted his microphone. Who else are you going to find that's going to be that into the story that they're willing to put their lives on the line? Well, again, but I think that's, that just shows you something. A lot of people are smarter than that. So you don't think he's uh, worth the risk insurance-wise? Well, well, we're not insuring him. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Did you think he was being insured? I think he thought that. Yeah, well, I think we're not. He's an outside contractor. So uh, we sent him. There's a story of a, a crazy story in New York City. A woman called 911 just after midnight Tuesday morning when she heard a man's voice speaking behind her apartment wall. Mm. Excuse me. 
I mean, that's got to be weird. That's right. like that show Stranger Things. That's what I was thinking. Ooh, so yeah. That, that was a kid, right? Well, He's was back it? there like, Mom. It was a kid. And she's like losing her mind. So a resident on Manhattan's east side says she heard a crash in her kitchen vent, then heard someone yelling for help. The fire department said that he called out for help. The man was on the roof where he removed an exhaust fan, and then he slid five stories down the venting, I guess, and became stuck on the first floor. Wow. In a shaft. Said the shaft was so small that his body took up the entire vent. Can you imagine? What are hmm. you thinking as you're falling five stories through a shaft? Oh, now I've done it. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> I am going to be so late. Uh, so we had to – so using power tools was out of question because you could just, you know, drill right through. <laughs> right. Cut right through the guy. We had to expose by hand, and so they had to tear the walls down and, oh. and save him. Firefighters found him standing in the vent. Um, uh, the rescue involved more than 40 firefighters. And the resident who called 911 said the man had told her the wall that he uh, – through the wall that he thought he was sliding down into a pool below. Like it was a slide or is, something? Excuse me. Is this the slide? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So we should, we sent Shik Shumway Careful. from Empty News, Matt Townsend News. He is the lead anchor of Empty News and um, he was on the scene because it took hours for them to get this guy out. And Shik was actually able to interview the man. So we're excited to hear this this quick soundbite as he's talking uh, with the man as the firefighters were arriving. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? I'd feel the same way. I didn't get any of that. Oh. What did he say? Can you translate? Um, he said something about, you know, he was disappointed because he just got his new swim trunks. Yeah. Donald Trump swim trunks. Oh, Trump yeah. trunks. Trump. And, uh, yeah. Darn it. He could have sworn there was a pool there. Hmm. Another great interview by Shik Shumway from Empty News. Well, I'll... I'll tell him that you appreciated that one. Tell him, oh, that was that was vintage chick. <laughs> that was total chick. Um, poor guy. I hope that guy's all right. They did finally get him out, I guess. But let's just say he won't be swimming in the Olympics. Poor guy. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will teach you how to manage your anger. I think he was venting. <laughs> totally. That dude can vent. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and become the good in the world. We'll be right back. A lot of Americans said they'd be angry regardless of who won the 2016 presidential election. With Donald Trump now the 45th president of the United States, most people are accepting reality and either championing or opposing aggressively his policies and ideology. The emotional election cycle had many expressing anger with seemingly no control of their emotions, which brings up the topic of how to manage anger and uh 
you know, especially when you when it's just taking you over. Joining us, our next guest is Dr. Ryan Martin. He studies anger and how to manage it. He is a, a anger researcher at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay, and we're honored to have you here, Dr. Martin. Thanks for being with us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Anger, uh, it's such an interesting emotion because in a way, we many of us feel like you shouldn't have it. It's not good. Right. There's nothing good about it. So you just need to – and no matter what, you don't act on it. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, you know, I would disagree with I, – I, it is accurate to say that's what people believe. Um, I, would, I would disagree with the, the claim that it's not good for us or that we shouldn't have it. Um, I, I actually view anger as being inherently valuable in the sense that it, it alerts us to the fact that we've been wronged. Uh, and it energizes us to confront uh, an injustice. Um, the the key for me is not so much whether or not we feel it, it's what we do with it. Mm. And I think there's all sorts of pro-social ways that we can express our anger um, that uh, won't get us into trouble. And so for me, the, this question of now, is it is it right to yell and scream at someone? You know, usually no. Um, but can we turn that anger into something positive via, uh, you know, you mentioned politics, but via particular types of protests, letters to your editor, letters to the, the your uh, congressperson and so on. Did you see the the story of the woman on an airplane that sat down next to a Trump person and then just went off? And did you see that? I have not seen that yet. I oh. will look for it. Well, she went off, it. and he, she, and he was filming the entire thing, and she's mad because she shouldn't have to sit next to him. And now Trump's finger is on the the button uh, of the nuclear weapons. Anyway, then the then the airline attendants come over and start talking to her, and they realize they're going to have to take her off the airplane and her husband off the airplane. And so then they come to do that, and then she starts telling more of the whole story. And it, and mm-hmm. I think it gets behind where the anger is coming from. And, you know, my husband just lost his mother. We are on our way home from that, or I think they're on their way there to that. I can't remember. And it's a really hard time. We'll just be quiet. And she tells the whole story. So behind anger and whatever the initial fit is about, isn't there just always something deeper going on? Yeah, I think there there often is, and I, I think that's a. I want to watch this uh, this video now because it, it sounds really compelling. I think uh, part of what you see is it is interesting to me when people more or less lose control because of their anger when they just and they, and I have seen other videos where people you know just kind of go on a rant um, publicly and somebody catches on video and they just you know I think in a lot of cases they might later on say or feel embarrassed, uh, say that they, you know, just lost control. Um, and I, and I imagine most people have been in a spot like that, maybe not that extreme, but a spot like that. I I do think that usually when people lose control like that, it's because there's been some sort of buildup, you know, there's some, at the root of it is maybe some fear, um, feeling hurt, feeling dejected, um, a series of, of these events that, um, that have been causing uh, causing the person some some strife and some difficulty. I mean, it's not all people. All the people that are losing it aren't crazy. They're human. Absolutely not. Yeah. But but yep. they're re- and there's something. But there's stuff we can do too. And we'll get into all of that. But what what are some of the the main drivers of what that that makes people that might might not not make them, but might accentuate uh, an, mm-hmm. a situation where they're angry. 
Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, when we think about the situations, why people get mad, what we see is it's, a, it's always a combination of some sort of provocation, uh, some other life circumstances, their mood at the time of that provocation, and uh, along with how they're interpreting the provocation. And so it's, it's this combination of factors. And so, you know, even something as simple as, you know, you, to, to go back to that story of the woman on the airplane, um, even something as simple that we might not think about, but being on a flight is inherently hmm. nerve-wracking and tension-building. Yeah. Um, for some more than others, but, you know, the process of getting through an airport, especially if you're moderately inexperienced with it, is a challenge, right? You're, you're dealing with security. You've got, you want to make sure, you know, there's a lot of nervousness there. And that nervousness tends to exacerbate some um, various emotional responses. Same thing's true when you're, you know, behind the wheel of a car. Um, we don't think of driving as nerve-wracking, but it is. Yeah. And um, we were so used to it that we might not even notice when we're feeling uh, tense. But that tension tends to exacerbate uh, any of those or how we feel or how we interpret those provocations. I, um, I have a, a watch that reads my pulse and blood pressure, I guess my pulse, but um, it's – if you track it, I'm I'm really relaxed. Even in the middle of my show, mm-hmm. I'm still pretty more relaxed – much more relaxed than I am driving in my car. Right. So my yep. commuting makes my heart rate go up, but a live radio show for three hours, I pretty much just level off. Yep. Isn't that that's wild? Interesting, yeah. But, yeah, but, that is. But then then that's the mood. I guess part of this is, like you say, mood, and that might be what you're bringing into. It's already kind of your nervous state, uh, you know, in the moment. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I think most people would say they're they're much uh, less patient uh, in those moments when they're feeling tense. And, uh, you know, for me, I always think about I'm I'm a pretty – um, a patient driver most of the time. Um, when, when I find myself kind of low on gas, I start to get uncomfortable. Mm. And all of a sudden, all those sort of little provocations start to make me more. And by provocations, I mean things like, you know, uh, stopping at a, getting stopped by a yellow light or something like that. These little things that happen, they make me uncomfortable to the point that I start to get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's because in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about how uh, you know, what the consequences are of this, uh, of running out of gas. You know, is this is this delay going to, um, you know, cause me a big problem or something like that? And um, to me, that's, you know, that's kind of normal. You, you, you're mm-hmm. wi- we're wired as human beings to not be vulnerable, <laughs> like not run yeah, out of right. gas, to not be put on the spot, to not look stupid, to not be uncomfortable. So is this just, so is anger just a natural reaction that we don't have to go with and overblow it. We can we can have the natural reaction start, but we can pull it down. Mm-hmm. It, I, I argue that um, anger is one of our primary emotions. Uh, it is one of the things we see along with actually sadness and fear, uh, and, and as well as some others. And there's some debate on on that, but you know, sadness, fear, happiness, and anger are uh, these primary emotions that we actually see children start to um, experience very early on. Uh, and, um, you know, within, in, in some instances, I mean, uh, you know, we, we see some instances at birth, um, you know, that, that infants are able to illustrate, you know, sadness and some, and then it kind of turns into anger over, over those first couple months. Um, and so it's, 
it's in my mind, anger is sort of the the one of those primary emotions that from it a lot of other emotions build, and so jealousy is a, maybe a little more complex version of that. Um, guilt, where you're, is a is a another sort of more complex version of that, but it's it's inherent. Um, everybody feels it. We we feel it early, and and I think the fact that it, we feel it so early says that it it probably serves some functional value in our lives. Yeah, yeah, and even and and if not paid attention to, it will some serve some dysfunctional value yep. in our lives. <laughs> yes, that that's very true. And and you would say the same thing about a, an emotion like. Fear. I mean, fear alerts us to danger, and that's a good thing, right? We we don't right. walk too close to the edge of a cliff because of it, but that also means that sometimes we have a panic attack in a Ferris wheel because you know the 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 um, that that fear uh, is just too much for us, and so you know it's an, again inherently good, but can cause us problems if we if we let it get out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Ryan Martin. He is a a professor and current chairperson of the psychology department at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Stick with us, folks. We're handling anger. When we come back, we're going to learn some skills about how to to manage it, how to deal with it more effectively, and some things we could do that might, uh, you know, go a very long way to lowering anger in your life. Stick with us, helping you live longer. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about how to manage your anger and who better to help us than a researcher that's been looking into anger forever, uh, even from birth, we'll find out. Dr. Ryan Martin is an anger researcher at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. He's a professor and current chairperson of the psychology department there and um, received his uh, Ph.D. in counseling psychology from the University of Southern Mississippi where he was studying anger back then. Ryan, welcome to the show, my friend. You bet. Thanks for having me again. What got you so interested in studying anger? Yeah, I've, I actually have been interested in it since I, was, uh, since I was a kid and since I was in high school. Not Like a lot of psychologists, some of this just comes from personal experience. Yeah. I, I had a, an angry family when I was growing up, or one that expressed anger in a, in a particular way, lots of yelling and that sort of thing. Um, I, when I was in college, I worked with a lot of at-risk youth, um, and anger seemed a really salient uh, emotion. These were kids that had a lot to be angry about, but anger was what was uh, causing them uh, a lot of problems huh. uh, as well, that they, they didn't know how to, how to deal with it uh, well, until I, I went on that. to graduate school. And then, and then in graduate school, you just started to piece it together, try to figure out what yep. it's about. Exactly. That's cool. I mean, it really... You know, you'd think that that's not good for the scientific methodology, but it honestly, I think it's better because you're informed. You see it from your life, and you can. I think it helps your questions. It informs how you yeah. how you approach it. Well, I think it's important for researchers to be you know passionate about what they're studying, and I certainly was. Um, but I do. I will admit that it in the beginning it took some time for me to kind of uh, maybe 
understand anger differently. That um, when I was, you know, that my version of anger, how I thought of it was purely the aggressive expression, you know, the, the yelling and screaming and pushing and that sort of thing. Right. Whereas I think at a certain point I, I started discovering there's lots of ways to express it. It's, it's not the same as the yelling and screaming. Some people cry, some people pout uh, and, and so on. Yeah. So yeah, some pout, walk away and just steam yep. silently. But, yep, exactly. and, and I, I think that's important too, because we, we think anger is anger is always raising your voice, but sometimes passion is raising your voice too, right? And it's you're not angry; you're just you're you're into what you're doing or talking about. Talk about um, what are some things we can do to manage the anger to deal that with that impulse that starts exploding inside of us that really makes it so this seems like whatever we're fighting about or whatever the issue is seems like it's life or death, right? I think that when I when I what I try and encourage people to do when it comes to managing their anger is for starters I, I usually encourage insight and that is um, when when you're not angry give some thought to the situations that make you angry or where you tend to get angry and and think about what might be driving that you know I think a big part of this is just knowing yourself and um, so do you have particular triggers and why are those triggers uh, for you. And then once you know that, it becomes a little bit easier in the moment to ref- to to a- acknowledge it. You know, this is this particular thing is a sticking point for me, and um, and then to make some life changes around that. And so an example from my life is, you know, I get um, a little bit impatient in the morning when I'm trying to get out the door. And so my for me that the thing is, I'm kind of thinking about all the stuff I have to do during the day, and so I can I can get a little bit impatient, uh, trying to, I take my kids to school every day, you know, and so I'm trying to, trying to hurry them along. And, um, I think recognizing that that's a, that's a tough time of day. It's, it's encouraged me to do some things like, uh, better prepare them, better prepare myself to deal with some of those triggers. Um, but also just to stop myself in the moment, take some deep breaths, um, re- remind myself that they are five and six and mm-hmm. that sometimes things take a little longer and, um, and to do things like that. And, and also to remind myself that, you know, if it takes us four minutes to get out the door, that's really not going to cut into my day that long right. instead of two minutes, you know, and, and to try and remind myself what the outcomes are. I, and you're I doing that. that you're, we, oh, it's not to interrupt, but you're doing that you're not trying to do that in the moment necessarily. At first, you're just trying to recognize your triggers, mm-hmm. see what causes it, and then see if you can integrate plans that that are more proactive. Exactly. And then, and once you're able to do that, it becomes easier in the moment to recognize those things, to mm-hmm. recognize that um, that you're you're doing the thing you often do. So true. And it's, but it's an interesting thing like stress. Mm-hmm. Does is stress a pretty normal gateway to anger? So, like you were stressed getting out the door, you got five things to remember, you got ten people to see, you got a long day, and now your kid wants to change his shoes. Right. Um, you are describing almost exactly what happened this morning. <laughs> uh, so, so um, yes, I, I think uh, stress is a very natural. It's part of that what we call the the pre anger state. It's part of that current mood that tends to. Um, that tends to exacerbate or, or make us feel like those provocations are more significant than they are. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
you're saying if we can plan, if we can understand our triggers, and it could be anything. I mean, I've I've noticed mm-hmm. I I can be questioned by anybody, but for some reason, when my kids are asking me why they have to do something, that yep. just that very questioning, like, are you kidding? Because I'm your father, <laughs> and all right. of a sudden you go into this. It's almost a script we played, right? And and the, yep. uh, the so the provocation and the mood then lead to um to us to a, some sort of script. You mentioned in your article too about sleep. Mm-hmm. Talk about the impact yeah. a lack of sleep has. You know, I'd I'd say the the interesting thing about both sleep and um and actually hunger or sleep deprivation and hunger is that you know these are things that we don't fail to recognize in children at all. We we know we oftentimes write off mm-hmm. children's crabbiness to being a result of too little sleep or you know they're hungry. Um, and so it's so interesting to me how we we don't cut adults much slack there uh, or recognize that sometimes when we're fatigued um, or sometimes when we're hungry that it's oftentimes it's an impulse control piece are we're we're worse at impulse control when we're hungry or when we are uh, tired um, in fact i think there's some estimates that a lot of uh, parents who who have um, harmed their children uh you know who abuse their kids that that's one of the predictors there is sleep deprivation that they uh, it's an impulse control issue uh as much as anything which is there's other research i know on people that have um What's it called? Uh, like more willpower. They lose willpower the more tired you get, which is why a lot of yeah. our mistakes happen at night. We do we mm-hmm. we binge eat at eleven o'clock at night when we should really just be sleeping instead of trying to write that report. Right. Yep. Our brain requires sleep, and when we don't have it, one of the first things to go is that that willpower, the impulse control. Mm. So, what are some other things we can do to deal with uh, and manage our anger more effectively? I think the other two types of things I suggest, one I, I hinted at a moment ago, but it's uh, various relaxation approaches um, in the moment uh, or throughout the day, deep breathing exercises you can do. Um, I encourage people to embrace whatever sorts of relaxation approaches work for them. For some, it is um, meditation. Uh, for some, it's yoga, um, those, those sorts of things. The other piece is, of related to what I said before about knowing your triggers, but also it's it's actually evaluating the sorts of thoughts people are having um, uh, in the moment. A, a lot of times, anger stems from feelings like we can't cope with things, um, and so you know a, a problem uh, might seem way worse because we feel like we can't cope with it. And so, simply asking ourselves, "How bad is this?" Hmm. Uh, is a is a way of of dealing with anger. So what you know and. Kind of gave an example of that this morning, trying to get out the door. You know that um, how bad is it if it takes us four minutes to get out the door instead of two? Um, what how big a deal is that in the context of my day? And yeah. usually, or a lot of times, the answer is not that bad. Not bad. <laughs> Just relax, man. It's not that big of a deal. But like, right. some sometimes um, I ask, uh, how do I want to be remembered? Because mm-hmm. that takes me to kind of to a future state that seems a little more idyllic. I don't want at my funeral that my kids are all like, holy cow, was that man angry? Right. That guy was I, a mess. That's really interesting. I, I, it reminds me, I, I once had a client who um, – one of the interesting things, I think a lot of times we think of – of angry people as being kind of these, you know, monsters. Yeah. Like they're so mean and so cruel. 
But uh, I remember once having a client who he had anger problems. He had a very difficult time controlling his anger. But the same guy that I think a lot of people were real tired of dealing with, the same guy would was sitting in my office one day and he was crying and he said, you know, I don't want people to think I'm a tyrant. I don't want people to think that I'm I'm a monster. Um, and he 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 thought a lot about how his dad, uh, how he viewed thought about his dad who also had anger problems and said, I don't I don't want people to think about me that way. Mm-hmm. That's so. And I mean, it's. And, and I, in a way, you could even then like positive psychology it and say, I want to be remembered as the guy that had tendencies to be angry and could control them, right? And change yep, it, and, and and created a change so I didn't hand it down to my family. Yep, absolutely. Because we know, you know, uh, that that children tend to model the uh, emotional expressions of their parents. It's it's sort of a golden rule of of emotion, is that um, you know. Parents who express their emotions negatively have kids who express their emotions negatively and vice versa. Mm, so good. So true. So we, we need to kind of manage our, our impulse control. We can do that with deep breathing exercises, meditation. Is, is there a correlation between anxiety? Are some people just more you know anxiously driven, more hot mm-hmm. that, that they, they do? Like I know I'm a high sensitive and um, I know as a high sensitive, I pick up a lot of data. <laughs> So I can – I'm already nervous anyway because i got 10 things to do today and I can tell my kids are already running behind and I can tell right. they don't want to go where, we want, where we're going and I can right. hear my wife is already getting stressed and so I start amping. Um, so, so do anxious people tend to be more angry? Is there, is there a chemical side to some of this that we might want to look at? Yeah, um, we see that uh – just negative emotions in general all tend to, and I put negative in quotes because yeah. they, what I mean by that is they, they feel negative to us. But um, we see that um, uh, a lot of those emotions that we think of as negative, things like sadness, anxiety, anger, guilt, jealousy, um, we see that those emotions all tend to run together. That's very rare for people to feel just one. Um, and, uh, anxiety and anger in particular are very, uh, are very closely related. The, the physiological feeling state is very similar. Um, the types of situations that lead to them are very similar. In fact, w- one of the big differences between fear and anger, uh, is, is whether or not you feel like you have power in a situation. Mm. So if you're confronted and you feel powerless, a lot of times you're going to get scared. If you're confronted but you feel like you have power over the person um, that's confronting you, you, you're more likely to get angry. Interesting. So, that, I mean, it makes sense, right? You, if you have no power, you just run from it and then, you know, behind the scenes get angry. Or um, right. if you have power, you crush whoever is in your way to make right. it go away. Yep. Oh. And a lot of this we do blindly and then as humans we then – Later, feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. I shouldn't be this kind of person. And but a lot of times we just you know we don't deal with it. And you're saying get right. out and think about it, even if it's after the fact. Start thinking about what's your trigger. And then another thing you mentioned earlier was acknowledge it. So mm-hmm. should I acknowledge these feelings of anger, this tendency I have? Should I bring it out publicly to my family, to my kids? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, I think you know, with kids, so often it. it the thing that always worries me with anger is that um, it, it can be really scary to kids, depending on how you express it. And um, you don't want to um, you do things that might harm the relationship. 
Um, I'm convinced that a lot of the damage that comes from anger in families is actually kids who um, become scared of a member of their family who expresses their anger in a particular way, mm. you know, and they feel like they're walking on eggshells because mom or dad yell all the time. Or, um, you know, here I am in, in, in Green Bay where the Packers are a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And I, I run into a lot of people who say, you know, I, I actually don't love watching football with my family because mom or dad are always yelling at the TV and you know, my, my memories, my my memories of watching sports always include someone screaming <laughs> and you know, that's, that's no fun. And, you know, if it's, and I'm just using sports as an example, but if, you know, it, it scares kids when parents get mad behind the wheel of a car and yell at someone or, or whatever. Um, and so I always think it's good to, it's good to talk about emotions with kids. I think it's great to talk about emotions with kids. I think just, we just have to be careful how we do it so as not to create more them and yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, well, as we wrap it up, what would you say? I always ask for the one thing that makes the biggest difference. What is the one thing that if, if we could just do this one thing, it would, it would impact dramatically our anger and our ability to manage ourselves? I would say uh, is insight. I would say that uh, human beings, the part, of what, part of what human beings can do that, that most, most uh, creatures can't do is think about their thoughts. And uh, we, we have the capacity for what psychologists call metacognition, right? We can, we can think about our thoughts. We can think about the kind of people we are. And um, I would say that if we can really search for insight and think about those things, um, that, that we're going to be better for it. And, and not just in the area of anger, but in the area of everything. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. We, uh, we appreciate you, Ryan. Dr. Ryan Martin, thank you for your work there at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. And you can uh, continue to uh, do that work. We're going to have you back on. I know uh, anger doesn't go away. We need to find more and more ways to deal with it. We will take a break. Stick with us, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you do when no one's looking. Stick with us. Hey, when people are watching you, uh, aren't we usually on our best behavior? But when we're by ourselves, have you noticed that some things may change? What we do when we are alone may not, uh, you know, it may tell us a lot about ourselves. So uh, joining uh, us is Leanna Tan. She's going to explain why we do what we do when no one is looking. Think about how you act around your friends or family or coworkers. You probably make an effort to be somewhat animated, to talk like how they talk, keep your manners, and do what is acceptable in whatever social circle you may be in at the time. But, you know, my mom always said that you can tell who a person truly is by what they do when no one's looking. You know why? Because you tend to be a different person when you don't have to worry about being monitored or keeping a reputation. Sometimes you're uncouth, unattractive, and downright weird side comes out. But it happens to us all, so don't worry. So I thought about it, and I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I'm laying it all on the table here. Let's see what these things say about what kind of person you truly are. Here are five things I know you do when no one's looking. Facebook stalk yourself. Come on, I know how it goes. You think you're going to sit down for a nice hour of studying when the next thing you know, 20 minutes has gone by and you're scrolling through old profile pictures of yourself and recently tagged posts. I get it. 
Even though you've already read all those comments and seen all those pictures, it's something about the thrill of seeing how other people view you. And to check up on just how crazy your bangs used to look or what people must have thought about your ninth grade obsession with cat selfies. In one sense, I think it could be a very healthy and self-improving practice, but it still doesn't justify the 20 minutes of study time you just wasted. Drink out of a cup and put it back on the drying rack. Don't pretend like you don't do this. I can see the justification now. It's just a quick sip and it's midnight and I don't want to turn on the light. I mean, how many germs can really get on the rim of a cup in like three seconds of contact? Plus, who can tell the difference between a drop of shiny water and a drop of shiny saliva? And then, there you go. Giving the cup a quick rinse and sticking it back on the drying rack. No soap, no scrubbing. I know all your tricks. Turn up the heater. Seems so innocent. And maybe you even justify that you're doing your housemates a surface by keeping them toasty warm. Your housemates love to live in an igloo and you like to make it a sauna. No one's looking, so no one can tell the difference between a few degrees, right? Until that skyrocketing bill comes to haunt you every month. You know, I think there's only so long you can get by without someone noticing that. You eat your roommate's food. Um... I think I've been on both sides of this. We all have. You go to the fridge, and whether you're starving and see the Chinese take out your roommate abandoned so inconsiderately on the top shelf, or you realize you're out of milk and there's a full jug of it just waiting to be consumed. The next thing you know, there's a spoon in your mouth and you're scrambling to shut the fridge door before anyone walks around the corner. You might even hold your cereal bowl in the fridge to make it easier to quickly tuck the milk jug back in the fridge door. Yeah, I have you all figured out. Bye. You have conversations with yourself in the mirror. Gotcha! You're blushing right now because you know it's true. Those times when you wonder, how charming is my laugh to others? Or when you need a little extra practice before you have one of those intimidating heart-to-hearts? Usually these conversations come equipped with a well-rehearsed teardrop, a precisely timed chuckle, and... Of course, your cell phone nearby just in case your roommate comes in unexpectedly and you can pretend it was all a natural, organic speakerphone conversation with your mother. You think you're so sly, but I've got you all figured out. So, what does all this say about you? Maybe, in reality, we all are conceited, disgusting, inconsiderate thieves. Huh, maybe this is why man isn't meant to be alone. Now that the secret's out... Maybe this will inspire some self-improvement in us all. Happy introspecting. And if nothing else, please at least wash the room of your cup. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, also accompanied by Jeffrey Simpson and, of course, Terry South on the journey. Isn't this exciting? The journey? The journey toward a better life. Oh, okay. That's our goal. Thought I didn't we were, realize that's we what this was. pointed somewhere else, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. What did you guys think we were doing? I don't know, 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Noon Eastern. Uh, we're talking about a subject today that I think you guys need. Um, etiquette, 
No. Etiquette Rules We Learned from Grandma. Wasn't that the title of George Washington's book? Was it? On etiquette? No, his was more, what tree was that? <laughs> what tree was that? Yeah. Etiquette from Grandma. Yeah. I think she just yelled, close the door. Shut the door. Stop running through the house. Stuff like that. Oh, my grandma never yelled. Well, she didn't yell, but I mean, when the kids showed up and about three hours in. Oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. When, you, yeah. when the door's yeah. open. My grandma used to uh, rake shag carpet. So what? I'd sleep over at her house and I'd go up and. She didn't I'd, have a vacuum? Well, she did. No, she had oh. a, she'd vacuum, but she'd also rake it so that it was always fluffy. And it was like the long shag. Oh. Did she have a special rake or just the one yep. from the garden? No, she had a rake, a, okay. a special carpet rake. Didn't she plant things in the carpet too when no, she was raking around? Kids. Come harvest season. Wow. <laughs> we would just put our Skittles in there. It was, it was, it was a really cool memory. She would, she'd be out there just raking while she's watching her soaps. Grandma's stories. Those were the days. So the scented kind? The scented soaps? Yeah. No. No, like soap operas. I see. What did she call them? Her, her soaps. The days. Days of our lives. Good stuff, folks. See, bringing back the memories. Grandma can teach us a lot. Today we'll be learning etiquette rules, which, you know, we need. We need desperately. Today is also opposite day. It's uh, particularly uh, popular among children who, you know, like the absurdity of doing everything backwards. They wear and, their clothes backwards. They press secretaries who are trying to figure out definitions of truth. Yeah. It's opposite day. Yeah. Alternative facts. Yeah, absolutely. So apparently today <laughs> they're doing a big push on immigration. But is it opposite day? Those, I'm, maybe, I'm, it's on, maybe it's migration. I'm not sure if everyone is celebrating opposite day. No. Hopefully the White House is ignoring opposite day. Well, hopefully, yeah. Let's just do normal. I'd just love to have one day of normal. What's normal? Well, the old normal. The old normal? When the president we, would say something. Wasn't that, the old normal voted out? Now we have the new normal. No, I'm talking about the normal. Which is more like, of the upside down. Which where you, every you know that sentence we weren't questioning what they were saying. Like, yeah. that's not true. That's not true. So the media, again, we talked about this last hour. I think the media, or two hours ago, Got to be careful because I think Donald Trump was elected president and it's not because he's an idiot. No. So you might be being played even though you're – it's really true. You got to tell the truth. Got to tell the truth. Keep saying that. By the way, the – I told you yesterday about the book 1984. Yeah. It rose uh, to like number five on the Amazon bestsellers list as people are now trying to get this book to read it. (laughs) Penguin Publishing is printing more copies of the book. They've run out. So they're – Response to surge in demand. It jumped to number one Tuesday evening on the bestsellers list. Really? And uh, they're saying we're putting in a $75,000 copy reprint this week. It's a substantial reprint, larger than our typical reprint for that book, 1984. That was the opposite of what I meant to play. (laughs) That was you uh, inhaling again, inhaling the fumes out of your... Whipped cream. Whipped cream can. Uh, So we'll get to all of that fun. Plus, of course, we will also give you some advice on um, if you have an ex-wife. Nope. We will let you know what you shouldn't do um, to your ex-wife's lawn. It's maybe a tip. If you, yeah, it's a tip. If you, if you don't want to be arrested. All right. Don't put kitty litter in it. No. Donuts. Nope. Oh, donuts. Yes. Toilet paper, and then spray it with the hose. Yeah, don't do any of that. Wow, that's mean. That's a mean ex. Yeah.
But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Less than one week after President Trump takes office, the Dow Jones Industrial Average made history today, opening for the first time ever above 20,000 points. The Dow, which has consistently rallied since Trump won the presidential election in November, has been hovering right below 20,000 for more than a month. Wednesday's boost was due to the numerous executive orders Trump has signed since taking office on Friday, including those involving the Keystone and Dakota Access pipelines. Because of Trump's vows to roll back regulation, energy companies and financial services have seen the biggest jumps in their stocks. On Tuesday, the House voted 238 to 183 in favor of legislation that would prevent the use of federal funding for abortions. If passed, the measure would make the Hyde Amendment, currently a rider routinely added to annual funding bills that prevents the use of federal funds to pay for abortions, except in extreme cases, into a permanent law. The legislation would also block tax credits for some people and businesses buying abortion coverage under former President Barack Obama's health care law. The Associated Press reports the bill's next moves to the Senate, where it will need 60 votes to pass. Wow. So they need 10 Democrats to sign on. He'll get them. If my math is incorrect. He's got, doesn't he have like 18 senators over a barrel because they're up for re-election? Yeah. He's in a good spot. President Trump's pick to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court next week. They'll, they'll make his selection of who he wants to fill that spot. We have outstanding candidates and we'll pick a truly great Supreme Court nominee, Trump says. He expects to discuss the nomination Tuesday with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and both Republican and Democrats of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Ooh. So things are moving on who's going to be... Antonin Scalia's replacement. This is going to get that's. This is a huge. Not deal. Merrick Garland. Apparently, Merrick he's gone. He, he went back to his federal court. Yes. Yeah. A week before he was nominated, he was great. But after he was nominated, he was horrible. Oh, but how do when you go back to that federal court and they're all like, "Hey, sorry, dude, hey, you were going this on? close to the Supreme Court." How's your vacation been? Because <laughs> he was off for like three months. Oh wow. The lead content in Flint, Michigan's water supply has dropped below the federal limit. State officials said on Tuesday, this is good news and the result of many partners in the local county, state, and federal levels working together to restore the water quality of the city of Flint. Now, as it says, the lead content fell below federal limits. There's still lead in the water. Yeah. Just like everywhere else in the country. Just not not where they say it's going to hurt you as much, allegedly. Uh, and finally, progress in our, fit, our artificial intelligence causes some people to worry that the software will take jobs such as driving trucks away from humans. We've talked about sure. that on the show. Sure. Now leading researchers are finding that they can make software that can learn to do one of the trickiest parts of their own jobs, the task of designing machine learning software. In one experiment, researchers at the Google Brain Artificial Intelligence Research Group had software design a machine learning system to take a test used to benchmark software that processes language, right? Uh So what it came up with surpassed previous published results from software designed by humans. So in recent months, several groups have also reported progress on, and this is the whole point of this, getting learning software to make learning software. Wow. It's replicating. (gasps) This isn't good news. scary. Because once it can learn and make its own learning software... It won't need us anymore. We can stop the robot revolution. That kind of thing needs to never happen. But they just keep doing it like it's a good thing. At some point, they become sentient and they kill us all. I'm sorry, Matt. I can't let you do that. (laughs) There you go. It's us. We can't help ourselves. We think, oh, this is cool. Look, the robot's doing it himself. And then tomorrow, it doesn't need us anymore. But don't you think a robot could help us understand and AI could help us understand what Trump is thinking? 
it may possibly look at Trump as a reason that we as a species may not be the best answer. Oh, that's scary. It will use this A large portion of us as, voted a certain individual in that the is, robots may not agree with. It is time to terminate the humans. I, I've got a great that's idea. Scary. Why don't we just turn to the robots to vote for us? Can't the robots just vote for us? Well, many people think that everyone votes like a robot. Well, let me get into the whole citizenship argument of robots and uh. voter ID laws for robots. Well, none of those robots are going to be manufactured here, so maybe that would be a Do you remember when idea. robots were cute and they would get stuck just banging up against the wall? Right. It's a new day, Matt. Learning software, creating learning software. That's also what it's like when I'm playing a game like Halo. I'm the guy in the corner that just keeps bumping into the hey, wall. Hey, who's that guy bumping into the wall? Hey, everybody shoot him. That's Jeff. <laughs> shoot Jeff. There's 20 buttons on that controller. He can't figure it out. Hey, guess where I'm going tonight? Where are you going? I'm going to a play. Oh, well. The Nerd. Biography? Come, Pardon? Huh? Come again? I'm, uh, just go ahead. Pardon? Nerd! <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to The Nerd. Okay. And uh, I'll bring back some... Details for you guys. What's it about? Is it a one-man show? It's about a nerd. I'm not sure. Is it a personal monologue? I don't know. Okay. The nerd dialogues. I don't know what it is. The nerd monologues. I don't know what it is. <laughs> At the Hale Center Theater? Yes, sir. Is this In one this Salt Lake? One of your speaking engagements? Nope. No? No. 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 So you have no involvement in this other than you're going to see No, I it. don't know why you guys would think I'd be involved. <laughs> we just want to get all the facts straight. Yeah. Yeah, but what facts? Alternative facts. The best kind. Thank you, Kellyanne. <laughs> um, so I'll let you know. But it's I'm, today I'm going to get some culture. Okay. And then I'll bring back the culture to tomorrow's show. And you're doing this because it's opposite day. All the other days. No, I'm doing it because you're... my family has tickets and I want to be with my family. This is an opposite day. I'm always bringing culture to the show. Okay. Remember? Last week I brought – well, a couple of weeks ago I brought culture <laughs> to the show. So um, just know I'll be bringing you some really powerful ideas about being a nerd. Now, let's say you have an ex-wife or an ex-spouse, OK? And it's – I have an ex-wife. OK. That, well, you that, said let's say. Was, that was like rhetorical. Oh, I was okay. like I wasn't wanting you to say it. A uh, Florida man is accused of driving circles on his ex's lawn because he was upset about his old partner's new relationship. So his ex's – his ex – I don't know if it was a wife or his girlfriend or whatever – now has a new relationship. So Edward Buffington, 27, was charged with criminal mischief operating a motor vehicle under the suspension. And uh, police allege that Buffington you know, took his car. And did donuts, basically. Drove his pickup in circles on the lawn of this woman's home and uh, because they had a prior relationship when um, he knew a lot about when she was home, when she wasn't home. And now she's, he's upset because she shouldn't be dating other people. Everybody knows that when you break up, your life is over. Your life is over and you are now terminally lonely. You're done. Sad. All I heard was donuts. Yeah. <sighs> have you ever done donuts on someone's lawn? Be truthful. Sounds ever, like have, a drug. Have you ever driven <laughs> your car on another person's lawn? Um, not intentionally. 
This morning you did, though, right? Pretty much. Now, how it long, was difficult to get here. How long did it take you to make that right-hand turn? Uh, at least 10 seconds. It was just, you know, a slight incline yeah. right across the street from the school. And, uh, Were your wheels just Couldn't spinning? do it. I just wasn't going anywhere. Can I give you a little advice? What's that? Uh, a, get some tread on your tires. <laughs> just You're from California. But B, um, put it in a lower gear. Like a D2? Yeah. Hmm. Or don't gun the engine. It's not a race. That's just a little snow driving help from the good doctor. All I heard was D2, the Mighty Ducks. No, 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 no. Missed the point. Oh, okay. Drive two. I don't know if mine has a drive three, but put it in a lower gear and then you'll you'll get a little more grip and it won't spin as much. And then you can just put it up into the next higher gear and then the next higher gear. But once you get to D, don't go higher. Don't well, go to neutral. You can even go I, to neutral, but don't don't go to P. Well, I have heated seats in my car, yeah. and the Ooh. seats are over the tires, and so the tires get heated up and melt the snow. Isn't that how it works? That's why it took you 10 seconds to make that corner. Yeah. I fly like a crazy man because I know my gears. And pretty much every left turn that I had to make getting here was difficult. Yeah. Try D, D3, D2. I think it's D2. I can actually put my car into a sort of mock manual, uh-huh. and then it has a button yeah, on top yeah. of the gear shifter so you can shift through the gears. I was well, not aware of that when I bought the car. My other car has a snow feature or a sand feature if you happen to be in the desert. Mm. Or, so you um, own a Batmobile. Or an off-road feature. <laughs> in case yeah. you're, you're drifting on mm-hmm. the weekends. And I think it's there's a submarine one, but I haven't dared try that. Wow. By the way, D2, far superior to D3. Yeah. D3 barely even had Emilio Estevez in it. Barely. How come he always goes to movies? Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, these are the, the Ducks? I the didn't mighty, know there was a D2. D2, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. D3. Straight to home video. Uh, yeah. It should have been. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do for you, son? <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to take you back out back, and I'm going to show you. We're going to go do a little driving. So how many steaks can I order? No, we're not taking you to dinner. Just driving you around the parking lot. Just we're going to go driving. I'm well, gonna, don't say out back if and, you're not going to. And then, and then you know what I'm going to do? After I've t- taught you how to drive, we're going to sit down and have a talk about where babies come from. Whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. I've been uh, giving that talk to a few people in my my client list now. They're bringing family to see Wait, me. I didn't know I was Really? Paying. Do you mm-hmm. offer that service? I didn't. See, because I, I don't want to have that talk with my kid. Oh, I'm getting really good at it. Nice. I'll bring my kid. No, no, no. <laughs> I, let me tell Jeff, and then Jeff can tell your kid. It's a pretty cool lesson I've learned. Think of that, though. That would be a great alternative service that you could have with your, your business. I just figured it out. you could out. have parents bring their kids, and you have the awkward conversation mm-hmm. rather than the parent. And this is what's wrong with our education system, because I didn't learn this till I was about 45, and I have six kids. Wouldn't that be incredible if we just played one big game of telephone where you told me and then I told my kids and then my kids told somebody else? No, because that uh, – By the time you get to like 10 different groups of people, babies are coming from from Outback. Artificial intelligence. And Kellyanne Conway would say that's just an alternative Alternative facts. facts. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, folks. We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking etiquette rules. 
things you learn from grandma that really can make or break your life if you don't pay attention to them. Stick with us, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. You know, in a world of changing values and mixed opinions, we often forget some of the most basic and fundamental parts of our culture, the manners, right? We all need manners. Sometimes it's hard to know what the polite and proper thing to do is anymore, but national etiquette expert Cynthia Grosso says your manners and etiquette are not just actions. They are an attitude that is closely related to your self-confidence, your position in business and personal life as well as your ability to build successful relationships, teams, and organizations. She joins us today from South Carolina to bring us back to a time when things were a little simpler and to remind us what our grandmothers once taught us. Cynthia, thanks for being with us. Hi. Good morning. Good morning here. It's uh, about 1130 in Charleston, so good morning. Great to have you on the show. And... um, when I when I think of manners, I mean, you do. You think of grandma telling you to get your elbows off the table and stand up straight. Are, are we losing? Are we losing manners? Are they are they are they too subjective now that we don't have a standard? Um, you know, it's interesting because I think that a lot of people think that it is about the rules. And um, I have a little saying that says rules without reason result in rebellion. And so what we found oftentimes nowadays is that we understand what we're supposed to do, but we often don't explain the why as to why we're doing it. And, um, you know, if it's just something you have to do without understanding why you're doing it, it tends to be uh, rebelled against or just not done or not understood. Oh, it's so true. And so the... Yeah, they really haven't, the, the thoughts really haven't changed. It's never really been about the rules. It's always really been about confidence, understanding that the definition of confidence is faith or belief that you are acting in a right, comma, proper and effective manner. And if we really peel the onion back on that, what we find is that the right, comma, comma, proper and effective manner is really based, is rooted really and truly in manners, etiquette, and protocol, knowing what to do, and that's manners, knowing how to do it, that's etiquette, and knowing when to do it, that's protocol. So it's really been about the confidence. Um, Their manners and confidence are directly related, because if we look at, you know, well, who determines what the right, proper, and effective manner is, again, it's rooted there. So we start to understand that it's a lot bigger than just what goes around your kitchen table or get your elbows off the table. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I teach people when you, or, you know, talk to people and let them know that when you teach your child to write a thank you note, you're not teaching the action of writing the note. You're teaching the attitude of gratitude. You're teaching not what to, to do, but how to be. And that's much bigger. Mm, or when you is. teach them to hold a, yeah, when you hold them a spoon correctly, a soup spoon, it's not the action of holding the spoon. It's the attitude of self-respect. It's it's not about what you're doing. It's it's who you are and how to be. So it's a lot bigger than people think. And and it's true. I think sometimes um, parents don't always equate manners and confidence, but they're directly related. So it's it's so important. And if you can, I guess I guess the neat thing is if you can if you understand the deeper meaning behind a lot of this. Then you you can you can customize and you can adapt 
to every situation and the needs of others and what they want and need from you. Give us um, – you wrote uh, – or th- there's an article about etiquette rules. What are some of the – not even rules, but what are some of the etiquette things uh, – um, etiquette uh, – I guess it could be any of those manners, protocols. What are some of the things we need to pay attention to today that um, that are important? Right, um, and pretty much we talk about um, you know social etiquette for more for like children, and then of course there's business etiquette as well for corporate use. And it's really not about an age. You know, you get to a certain age where it's not necessary anymore. No. Or So when we talk about it, it's all-encompassing. And it really, um, it doesn't have any uh, uh, bounds. In other words, it doesn't really matter what your profession is. Uh, we are all in the people business. And so there's so much social science or um, psycholinguistic and you know, how uh, people relate to things that you say and, and how the manner that you say them. And so it's just, it's so much bigger than, like I say, do it because you have to or do it because it's our company policy or do it because that's the way we do it around here. There's so much of the social science that's also very interesting with it. So when you when you ask that question, it's it's all-encompassing because we start as children and of course we you know grow up and these same attitudes quite frankly not really the behaviors but the attitudes stay with us Mm. so if we're taught the attitude of gratitude you know that extends over to help us these are life skills right that extend you know in every area of our life no matter what our age and no matter where we work so um you know, there's there's lots of them, and it's it's the you know you can't have civilization <laughs> right without civility. <laughs> That's the isn't that the rub right there? Be, but, and, and like even just the attitude of gratitude you bring up because I can I can show gratitude by saying thank you. I can show gratitude by holding a door for you. I can show gratitude by um, sending you a thank you letter. Right, and just the smallest of things, you know, that people. You know, I try to teach the the children in school. Of course, my business is mainly corporate. I live in the corporate world, but I do speak at schools. I have a children's book, so I do author readings, um, or I speak at elementary schools, high schools. Of course, I speak at colleges. But again, I live mainly in the corporate world. I speak all over the the country. Um, but I, you know, it's like when I when I talk to children about you know understanding that holding the door for someone is really not an action; it's an attitude. And when we watch the person who has just let the door slam in the person's face behind them, and we watch them walk through the room, they live their whole life like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a marriage like that. They have a, a business like that. And so we understand that really and truly, it's not the action, it's, it's the attitude. And so it's really, and that's really what you're shaping if you're talking about family values. That's really what you're shaping when you're talking with children. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it's so important. But, you know, oftentimes I <laughs> I do do a summer program. And like right now I have a teen program, Teen Confidential, running right now. And, you know, people see me and they know me. They say, I'm sending my kid to you this summer, <laughs> you know, like it's a punishment. <laughs> yeah, we're going to fix him. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I, I want to say it's not a punishment. It's It's the basis. Really and truly, for their for their confidence in life. Well, and, and that that um, you bring that point up a lot about confidence, 
Because we, a lot of people don't, a lot of these, a lot of kids even don't know what to do in a, in a situation. They don't know how to approach a teacher. They don't know how to right. give feedback to somebody. And so no wonder they're, they're afraid if you don't have the skills. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have the skills and, you know, we, we love technology and, and, um, we love our phones and, but sometimes I say, you know, an effort to connect us. Sometimes I feel technology has disconnected us. And, you know, it's, it's funny because my millennials that I speak with will say, Oh, well, we're connecting with people all over the world. And, you know, and I say, you know, I love that and, and it's great. And, but while you're sitting there connecting with people all over the world, there's somebody sitting right next to you. <laughs> Yeah. That you're not connecting with, that you're not speaking with. You know, one of the things that I notice um, is children today, they, they, I, I walk in my neighborhoods in the morning, and I, that's my, my morning exercise. I walk, and a lot of times I'll say good morning, and the children don't even really, uh, they don't look at you, they don't speak. And I, I understand sometimes, you know, stranger danger and don't talk to strangers, but yeah, I want to tell parents sometimes that if you will have your child and teach your child to say good morning or to say hello, to uh, address that person, look them in the eye and say good morning as you pass. That's not a conversation. It's mm-hmm. a greeting. Because what I find so much is, it's, you know, you walk by someone and it's not so common courtesy. <laughs> you used to call it common courtesy. Today, it's not so common courtesy for someone to say good morning or to say hello. And honestly, they're safer if they do it. Because if they do it, then they, what do they do? They look at the person in their eyes. They, you know, can see them rather than not even looking. Mm-hmm. What I find, you can assess. Or, yeah. Yeah, you can assess and you can figure out very quickly, you know, am I safe? Am I, you know, do I keep walking? <laughs> Is this where I turn and run? But if you don't look, you can, you know, if they're not looking, they're not speaking. First of all, it's, it's not showing the person walking by you value. But it's also a safety. It could be a safety issue. So what I want to say oftentimes is teach them to say, give them a greeting and keep walking. Teach them to say good morning, look them in the eye and smile and keep walking. Do not, you don't have to stop. You don't have a conversation. But I feel like it's almost safer Mm. than, you know, than not looking at them at all. Yeah. Not looking up or staying looking at your device or... And then the other part of that is the understanding of how we interact with people. And, you know, Dr. John Dewey was a a famous American philosopher. And Dr. Dewey said the deepest need we have as human beings, uh, I say behind food and shelter, of course, is uh, the need to be important. Mm. And if we acknowledge someone, you know, whether that's a teacher in a school or a friend in the hallway, just smile or, you know, eye contact. And maybe you can't talk in schools. We don't want to disobey any rules that school may have. But an acknowledgement of people, um, you know, then the acknowledgement often comes back. In other words, if you walk by someone and you don't speak, you don't look, uh, what you've just done is you've just taught that person that the next time they see you, they probably won't acknowledge and uh, you. So it kind of devalues who you are. Mm. So the way I teach that to kids is to say, you know, your part of your self-confidence is um, your perception of what you think other people think of you and part of that. And, um, and you know, not all of the definition of self-confidence, of course, but so if that's the case, then you, the more good you get back, um, the better it helps you to feel about yourself. The more bad you get back, you know, then 
you know, based on your interaction with people. Yeah. So I get more good to have that little bit of um, confidence. You know, we have to give it to get it. It's kind of like that, you know, you you give what you get um, kind of thing. Yeah, that mantra. Um, it's it's that social mirror idea that, yeah, you keep getting this reflection of what you are, good or bad, and, and it, it, you do. We then we adopt it as part of our confidence. We're speaking with Cynthia Grasso, and she's walking us through um, just etiquette and a wonderful uh, website, charlestonschoolofprotocol.com, as she teaches us everything from table manners to really getting confident in who you are and how you respond to other human beings. Information matters, folks, and it matters for our self-esteem and our, our sense of confidence. We'll take a break, be back, give you more ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Cynthia Grasso, and she's talking to us about how to use basic etiquette practices to benefit our personal lives, our professional lives, to increase our confidence. Cynthia Grasso, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I know it's a sacrifice. And when I when I think of, um, like, my, my sisters, I don't know why my grandma did this, but my sisters felt, my, my grandma would wanted my sisters to learn um they went to they went to a charm school <laughs> and etiquette school and this was in utah i mean i can imagine that in the south was a big deal and and actually very beneficial to my sister um but we but we all laugh about it because like it ended up really only being one sister that went and uh, we we think we we don't know if it was cuz she was a favorite or she was just really in need and so Talk about talk about, but I it, it does give confidence. I mean, I remember her walking around the house. That was in a different era, but you know, with <laughs> balancing books on her head, learning to sit up straight. I went to a private school where we had to address the teacher, and they taught us how to address the teacher when when we had to make a correction. You know, um, am I correct in thinking that it should be two, not a four? And we would stand up when they would walk in the room. I mean, it's it 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 seems like these crazy little rules back in the day, but a lot of it too. I mean, it it does. I mean, your body posture changes your belief in yourself. A lot of this it does. stuff it does. gives you something at least to fall back on instead of just worry. Right. Well, absolutely. Because again, if you know the the right thing to do, then you can be confident in that. You know, it it doesn't mean that you know somebody else will know, but and it doesn't mean that everything will go your way. It just means that you, whatever happens, that you have the confidence that you handled it correctly or that you interacted correctly, and um, and there's a confidence in that. And uh, and so yeah and and earlier too I was saying that you know uh, and I want to make sure I say that you know sometimes you can give good I was trying to say that if you more good you can get back and the way we get more good is to give it mm. doesn't always necessarily mean that if you're nice somebody will be nice back right. to you um, I wish that was true yeah. but it's not always true but I try to tell them that if you're not you know if you give an attitude then chances are that 
um, the you'll get an attitude back, you know, and and if, more chances than than not. And and in that attitude, which you've just taught them, is it's okay for them to speak to you that way or in that moment when you give it and you get it back you've just taught somebody else because people say oh you teaching people how to interact with other people or how to treat other people and I always want to say no 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 what I'm really teaching is how to treat yourself because every day you teach people how to treat you Mm. and so it's not a hundred percent guarantee of course not yeah but you have a lot better chance (laughs) yeah it increases the odds doesn't it If we're going just for the odds game, it's 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 good for that. That's right. It gets nice back. And the other thing I want to tell you about what you were saying about your sister having to go to charm school. You know, it's funny because when I do a program, oftentimes the parents will tell me, you know, well, my child really doesn't really want to go or we're making them do this. And so sometimes kids come into the program, you know, not so happy or I don't want to say kicking and screaming, but right. And by the end of the week, especially our camp that we've had in the summertime that people from all over the world come, we've had people from many countries come, um, and, and, but, you know, at the end of the week, they're like, unbelievable. You know, the kids have had such a good time. They've learned so much. They've made good friends. It wasn't at all what they thought. <laughs> yeah. Nobody so, died. You know, hey, it's good. But, and so, um, but it's funny because I hear that a lot. And yeah. so I get it. You know, I really do understand that that's not probably their big thing on their list, you know, but surprisingly, just like anything else, you know, oftentimes what we think is, um, in fact, not, not really true. In other words, it's not as horrifying Yeah, <laughs> and actually pretty fun. And um, it's funny because I was at a, um, uh, a meeting here in Charleston, and um, it was a big meeting. And actually, it was a Charleston prayer breakfast, quite honestly. And um, it's a big citywide thing that they do once a year. And anyways, but I ran into two of my former students. Of course, we're now grown, and they came up and they said, "Miss Grosso," and I said, "Yes." And they told me their names, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And you know, she he said to it was a sister and a brother, and uh, they both went at the same time. And he said, you know, we have often talked about how we really didn't want to go to camp that year, but how it was one of the best things we've ever done. Mm. And so that some of the stuff that you taught us, we still use today. And these, you know, I'm actually not exactly sure how old they were, because I don't remember exactly the year they came through, but I know they're at least in college. Yeah. And it it works. It sticks. It does. It sticks. (laughs) Well, Cindy, we appreciate you uh, for doing it and keeping and keep up the good work there. Go, everybody, go check out charlestonschoolofprotocol.com, and you can get more information about her uh, professional savvy series and an online learning program for professional table manners. Again, it'll help you at work. It'll help you in the family and confidence and something you can use the rest of your life. We'll take a break, come back, and we'll be checking the etiquette of our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Let's find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're going to shoot it down now to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. As they uh, are getting ready for the big show in just 12 minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Governor. How are you? I want a donut, and then I would be much better. 
Oh, a donut sounds great right now. Ain't no donuts up in the break room. Aren't there? It's only healthy stuff. Oh, oh, they have some donuts. What are they trying to do, the kill us? Donuts. Yeah, the crumb donuts and the powdered sugar donuts. You know Crumbly what's... for the tumbly. <laughs> I think if, if you go to the other store that is a couple buildings north of us, mm-hmm. I think they have donuts. Ain't nobody got time for that. Send, send one of your people. That's a great point. Well, they're busy. Doing well, you've got time in 12 working. minutes, Matt, so uh, why don't you oh, send yeah, you'll uh, be one free. of your, your people or you yourself just you know what? take care of the donuts for us. I would do it in a second, but I forgot my galoshes. <laughs> oh, seriously. It is <laughs> a winter wonderland out there. This is crazy. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, and it wouldn't be bad if certain cities would plow. What city are you referring to? I'm not going to name names. The city that we're in, Cougar Town? Uh, no, Cougar, on the campus, they do a pretty good job, but it's the cities yeah. around Cougar Town. Yeah. Mm, it rhymes great. with Storum. Storum mm. and Grovo. <laughs> <laughs> Not to... Storum. I don't, I don't want to... We don't want to... What about Blairamoga Trings? Oh, Blairamoga Trings. The worst. They are the Fringville? worst. Man. <laughs> Greenville? Man. <laughs> For not saying Dang it, we just sure bill? we just sure listed a lot of them, didn't we? Man. Hey, um, what do you guys think about Jim Harbaugh? Manish Splork? <laughs> Manish Splork? <laughs> you know what? That doesn't even sound right. That sounds bad. That sounds really bad. Have you guys been to Manish Splork lately? I injured my Manish Splork. <laughs> I pulled it. <laughs> my Splork. Part of the upper dorsimus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan Wolverines are going to hold three practices yeah, this spring in Rome. Rome. Now, Rome, Rome, why Rome? I mean, I would get Notre Dame going to Rome, right? I mean, that's Because like, it's Harbaugh and it's Michigan, and he just likes to do things differently. He just wants to go on a why trip. Not? He just He's wants a trip. He's a crazy guy, man. He's a crazy guy. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? There what? might be a recruit that's like, hey, I want to go to Rome, yeah. so I'm going to sign with Michigan. Well, yeah. this is the last year that it's possible. The oh, really? They made a rule, but it won't go into effect until after this year. Oh, so it's almost like he's making fun of the rule. Yes. Absolutely. He's accentuating He, he it. takes advantage of any opportunity to get out there. So the, 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 the contrast of, hey, yeah, go to old man Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Or he can come hang with us and we'll have fun. We're yeah. still going to win. And, yes, they compete for championships. But, hey, we do it differently. See? It's a different angle. It's a different angle. So where is BYU going to take some exotic trip somewhere? And if so, where would they go? Uh, probably down to Mona, <laughs> Utah. They can go to the yeah. uh, the rope swing. They can go to the Lavender oh, Festival. No, I'm just kidding. The Mona, Mona's uh, known no. for the Lavender Festival. Yeah. Right? B- so. BYU does something unique during the summer. What do they do? Uh, they they do these fan fests all over the country and fireside. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the, BYU does travel out to its constituency, if you will, uh, in season and and uh, during the offseason. They hold these fan fests. There's tons of people. We were at one before the bowl game in San Diego. It was awesome. There were a ton of people there. And it was cold and windy, and there mm. were still a ton of people there. It was fun. It was fan fanorama. It was a fanorama. It was like, it was like scoutorama. Hey, I thought of you guys. Please don't remind me. I I, I just saw that Brent Musburger, seventy seven, he's yeah. retiring. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, some of the iconic uh, BYU moments ever were called by him, so we're gonna play uh, one of those coming up on the show. Yeah, we we, we met him in Las Vegas, and uh, Jerem just tweeted out a picture two years ago. Oh, really? Is yeah. that is that when security was called? Uh, there was a fifty feet thing. I don't know what that like. I don't know. What <laughs> there that was an was order, a court order. <laughs> no, he's a legend. Yeah, um, is he a neat guy? That wasn't two years ago. That was last March, right? Wow, it's 
been a long time. That was a year. Wow. Uh, you think it's been a long time. Brent Musburger, 77. He's been doing this quite a while. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we were listening and watching some videos on YouTube prior to the show. You guys are a legend, legend in my eyes. Well, that's uh, abuse of the word, but yes. Thank you. <laughs> you just destroyed the word. Don't do that. Don't use it in vain. <laughs> Don't use it in vain. Hey, so what are you going to have on your show today? Oh, oh, oh so much. If you're still doing Here, it. Here's what's going down. So Jamal Williams and mm-hmm. Harvey Longy from the BYU football team, they're in Mobile, Alabama. Really? At the Senior Bowl, which is the most prestigious kind of postseason bowl for seniors. Um, they're trying to get drafted. Jamal Williams will be drafted. Harvey Longy possibly drafted. So we're going to discuss what's more important for the program, how high Jamal goes in the draft or that BYU gets multiple picks. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so would you rather have a guy get drafted, let's say, I don't know, in the second round or have two guys that go in the fourth and seventh respectively? Wow. Galco, who is a, uh, of Optimum Scouting, he evaluates players. He will join us from uh, Mobile, Alabama. We'll ask him some of those questions. Kalani Purcell. The women's basketball team. She's the West Coast Conference Player of the Week. She will join us. She almost had a triple-double. She was pulled with three minutes to go. She needed two rebounds. What's so up with that, coach? We, we will reenact the situation <laughs> in which she was pulled. I will play the role of Jeff Judkins. Are you really? Okay. okay. As coach, we yeah. will reenact that. And why are technical fouls sometimes a good thing? Okay. There you go. And the latest on Nicholas Emery. Will he play Thursday against Santa Clara? Mm. After taking a knee to the quad. A knee, you know what? Have you ever taken a knee to the quad? No. Not fun. I get, I've Awful. handed out knees to the quad. Awful. <laughs> That's why they call you knee boy. They're... Man, when you're going around a screen from some bony six foot seven kid in high school and he sticks yeah. his knee right into your quad. Yep. Oh! Don't you feel like it goes all the way through your quad to your hammy? It'll get, it'll get you. That was Yeah, that was the one thing I hated about high school basketball is my coach would be like, okay, you're on the guy that scores the most points to the other team. And so they would run him off a billion screens and uh, I'd always be chasing. Yep, like That would yep, happen to me at least yep. once a game. See, but then you just all you should be doing is driving your knee into quads. One time we played Bingham and I decided I'd had enough of that situation, and I just shoved the kid over. Oh, really? Setting the screen. I was like, enough. Enough. And it was the rival, so I was like, yeah, I'm so cool right now. I just shoved the guy over. That's but what I thought at the time. That was, well, you are. That's Now cool. I know I was not indeed yeah. cool. One time yeah. I'll have to tell you about the only fight that I was ever involved in my entire Ooh. life. <gasps> Should we do that tomorrow? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay. Fight. Okay. Fight. We were in a rivalry fight. basketball fight. game. Fight. Who's the rival? Okay. Layton High School. Leon. Leon. Okay. Leon. <laughs> we, will, um, we will remember the fight uh, Spencer Linton's uh, throwdown, mm-hmm. and how it ended fight. for me with a stare down with a cop. <laughs> Seriously? Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay, and then I, I will then tell you my fight at Roy High School. Okay. Yeah, let's a hey, tomorrow. Oh, Roy let's High talk School. Yeah, right. Was it with Jim McMahon? It wasn't really a fight. It was more of a. Is that why he has the one eye, bad one eye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took his what? eye out. I yeah. thought it was a fork. No, I sprayed Mason in his eye. Wow. I got him. Okay, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Leighton fight, Roy fight. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Fight! Peace out. Boy, that's some serious... Nothing worse than a knee to the quad. You know what I mean, Jeff? I would think somebody whacking you in the shin would be worse. No. No. Hmm. Should we try it? Come over here, just real fast. Um, Oh, it's opposite day. I was just kidding. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's a nice jacket. Thank you. Dot, dot, dot. Opposite day. Driver falls asleep behind the wheel and plows into a Wendy's. 
sad. County Sheriff's Office in West Virginia is investigating a single vehicle accident after a driver fell asleep behind the wheel and drove right into a Wendy's. As you know, that Wendy's chili is kind of explosive. Did you hear it? Once, you, once they got to the kettle of chili, <laughs> things got crazy. The incident happened early Sunday morning. The sheriff's office said the driver was asleep behind the wheel, crossed northbound lanes of traffic, going over a curb, running into the fast food restaurant. Deputies say the vehicle hit the exit doors and was lodged in the doorway. Boy, it sounds like it made a lot of damage from that audio for just getting stuck in a doorway. And by the way, sadly, destroying the doors of a Wendy's. Yeah. If it were any other fast America. food establishment but a Wendy's, that's a kind Wendy's? of unforgivable. Yeah. It's good. I feel bad for that little redheaded girl. Yeah. You know what I mean? What did she do to them? Now where are we going to get our chili? <laughs> are you into chili? Today's a good chili day because we have like many – I haven't been able to look because I don't have a window – that I can see it. You can see it. But like three inches of snow, maybe four inches of snow out there. This is exciting. Hero of the day. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story so we can all look to the good in the world. A brave taxi driver at the center of a viral Facebook post used his military training to calmly help victims of a Melbourne of the Melbourne driving rampage. A Monday, a man drove his car into a Melbourne, Australia shopping mall, killing five and injuring many, many more. During the violent incident, taxi driver Lou, Lou Bougias jumped into action to help others and is being held as a genuine hero. He offered a level head and uh, kind words and first aid to those that were scared and hurt. Uh, he said he is everything he is everything great and courageous you've ever seen, heard or read, rolled into one authentically humble bloke. Witness Henry Dow wrote in a post dedicated to the taxi driver. He said, I just did my duty, is what Lou said. Hero is a title Lou does not believe applies to himself. I'm just a bloke who did what they had to do, he told the local media. If I had stopped the car, fine, but at no point was my life in danger, so I'm not a hero. Mr. Bougia uh, was between jobs at, at a taxi stand when the car sped past, missing him by just a few feet. He was so close, he said, that uh, he feels like he could have reached out through the driver's side window and stopped the car. So he himself was a little frustrated that he didn't, uh, wasn't able to do that. But then he went and took care of everybody that had been hurt, keeping people calm, stabilizing those that were injured, and, uh, and, and moving people out of the way. So hero of the day. They come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all different places, and some are just a bloke doing what they just doing all they could do. That's what makes the hero, and we appreciate you listening to the show. We our goal is to help you see the good in the world, and uh, we want you to know that you're part of that good. So let's all step up and be the good that we can be. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas, more information to help you lead healthier, happier lives. Until then, make it a great one and take care of each other.